Howard from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios in Azle, Texas. Welcome to Primetime Special Edition 135. Tonight, it's a legislative update as we welcome Glenn Loop and Joshua Harbarski from the Premium Cigar Association back to Special Edition. And as always, Primetime Special Edition is sponsored by Perdomo Cigars, awarded Nicaraguan Cigar Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal. The Perdomo 20th anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is a top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th anniversary blend requires tobacco has been carefully hand-selected and a well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Cigar is a family-owned and operated company. It's headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly claimed cigar brands include the Perdomo State Selection Vintage, the Perdomo Double-Aged 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary, Perdomo Bono Bourbon Barrel-Aged, Perdomo Lot 23, Perdomo Menso 70, and many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And of course, we want to mention JRE Tobacco. The authentic Corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there. During the golden age of cigars of Cuba, it was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars. Because it is one of the most challenging ones to cultivate, it fell out of favor by the 1990s. In the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Arroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds. And in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has been able to continue to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with JRE Tobacco, Julio and his son Husto bring their very own brand to market and each contain that authentic Corojo leaf. Aladino is available in a wide variety of blends, including the latest release, the Aladino Classic. Each resembling the Golden Age of Scars of Cuba from 1947 to 1961. They're available at your local retailer. Be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every draw. And, of course, we want to mention Tobacco Area USA. Makers of iconic brands such as Monte Cristo, Romeo and Julieta, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco Area USA, great things are happening here. And we want to mention Drew Estate. <laughs> oh, we got a new Drew Estate thing. Okay. Dark, bold, unapologetic. Black and Cigars M81 by Drew Estate is an intense journey into the uncharted, deepest, darkest, and heaviest depths of Maduro tobacco. A masterpiece collaboration between Metallica's James Hetfield, Sweet Amber Distilling's Rob Dietrich, and Drew Estate's Jonathan Drudy. All Maduro Black and M81 by Drew Estate is a rich and powerful but beautifully balanced cigar offering tantalizing notes of leather, chocolate, and espresso that's perfect for both life celebrations and times of reflection. You can find them at your local Drew Diplomat retailer. And, of course, remember, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network shows, as well as the California Studios for the Thursday Primetime Show, is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Special Edition 135. Today is January 31st, 2023. Will Cooper, I am back in the Perdomo Scar Studios tonight. And, of course, I'm joined by my partner in crime, my good friend and colleague, at the Alec Bradley Lone Star Studios in Azel, Texas, Mr. Bear Duplissy. Oh, Coop, it is a fine, fine, bitter cold evening here in Texas. The roads are icy. Um, so all is all is right with the craziness that is the winter of Texas. You know, uh, 
you know, it was like 70 degrees a week ago. This weekend, it'll be 65. But for right now, you can't even stand up straight on a, on a sidewalk without falling over because we're Texans and we're not used to this. So, um, but I've got a warm cup of coffee and some good people to talk to. Bear, I remember. And, that's all, and it's all good. I'm sorry. Bear, I remember two, January 2015, one of those ice storms came through Texas and I was coming back from Las Vegas and I had a stopover in uh, DFW. And needless to say, the plane never made it out. And I could not get another flight out for 72 hours. I was I was literally stranded in Dallas for, for three days. This is before we met. Yeah. Um, and I, so I know what the city's like. It's, I know what the city's like there. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's actually a sheet of ice, and it's terrible until it thaws out. There's not much you could do. So um, yeah, it was a mess, and uh, they was you know they don't have a lot of the ices down there either. So you no, know, you think we'd learn? You know, it's 2023 now. You know, you mm-hmm. think we'd we get some few tons of salt and you know take yep. care of the airports at least. Our good friend Trip Waldrop was supposed to come in town this week, and uh, well. He made it sort of halfway here. Oh, that's right. That's so, right. So it looks like that's that may not happen now. Well, we'll see. We'll see what uh, it's supposed to get a little bit above freezing tomorrow. So we'll see what that does. But um, I drove to the store today. Uh, it's a normally a, a normally a 10 minute drive for me. It took me about 40 minutes to get there. So that was that was wow. nice. Now, yeah. No. Wow. You know, uh, I came back from obviously Nicaragua um, and it was 91 yesterday in Miami. Um, yeah. but, so a lot of people, f- folks that don't know my logistics is I usually drive to Miami, fly to Nicaragua out of Miami, come back to Miami and drive home. And a lot of that is to avoid exactly what happened to trip. Okay. Because uh, if Charlotte hits one of these ice storms, it, uh, it stinks, right? It's, it's, it, it could blow the whole trip, but at the same time, I, um, I, it gives me a chance to spend some time down in Miami, which I like. So, Sure. Um, but yeah, it, it, but it was interesting is, uh, you know, that temperature change when you drive back is, uh, cause by the time I got back from Miami, it was in the high fifties in, in Charlotte. So it's a big temperature so, change. Yeah. 40 degree degree job. Yeah. It's, man, it's, it's crazy. I, I still have the window closed. I haven't opened it up yet. I'm going to be smoking here in a little bit, but I'm just like, this is, it's cold, man. Um, it's still not as cold as it was a few weeks ago, like in December, you guys, you remember that? I mean, we that, were like below freezing. That was a Lazuka show we did. Yeah. yeah. We were, like, uh, the big chill came in. Yeah. My, my, uh, my wellhead froze over. That was nice. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Look at us old man talking about the weather. Yeah. Next, you're gonna, we're going to bring up gas prices next for some riveting conversation. Right. right. No, but Sorry. Hey bear, why don't we, why don't we bring in our special guest tonight? Cause I'm really glad um, to have these guys back tonight. Uh, it's been long overdue and uh, they were nice enough to kind of give some time to us tonight. And uh, I think there's a lot let's of good things it. happening with it. So let's welcome back Joshua Harbarski and Glim Loop of the premium cigar association. Gentlemen, welcome back to primetime. Thanks Coop. Looking forward to the uh, conversation with you and bear uh, Glenn and I uh, have been pretty busy the past few weeks and uh, excited to share with your audience and you all some of the things that we've been working on and some of the positive things that we're seeing both federally and in the States and even locally. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And uh, I know when Glenn reached out to me, you know, uh, wanting to do this, uh, I said I was in Nicaragua and I had to get in touch with Bear and stuff. Uh, so I thank you guys for your patience as we, we had to get that going. It took, I know it took a day and stuff so but i'm glad we were able to work it out yeah 
Well, Glenn's just excited that because if it gets too late on this show, he has no problems with hanging up, you know, like hanging up on you. Right, just right. Calling, call, calling it a night. But with, right. me, he feel, with me, he feels trapped. So, right. I mean, he's he's just excited. Well, you got to go on until like what? One thirty in the morning? <laughs> on a good day. Yes, sir. I, I, I <laughs> and, w- and with you guys on the show, it's definitely a good day. You like the test pattern of cigars. I mean, it's like <laughs> you got to train on the, for bears. Midnight. There's bears on. Turn on the television at two a.m. Hey, there's uh, bears on. Like, like, I See, gotta, hope Scott's I, not watching because he's my guest on Sunday. So <laughs> I, I, I got a true story to tell. Like, so Bear was doing a show on a Sunday night. It's he starts the show ten thirty Eastern, right? I I tuned in for like five minutes. I had to go to bed because. I had to go with my son to pick up a rental at like four in the morning, right? Um, because we needed to get it really early and then an overnight place we can go do that at. So I got up at like 3 a.m. and I just said, well, let me just see. And I, I just turned it on. The bear is still on. With, that was the show you were doing with Trip and Dennis that night. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a Trip and Dennis show. Those go historically long. Those, that was that a historically the long. long. So I, yeah, I was like, oh, one. my goodness. So, <laughs> it was so, and it wasn't like they were live. I mean, and they had viewers, which was amazing. You guys had still. so uh, was that, just, that, was, that was insane that people were still staying up with us. Yeah. That was crazy. You yeah. had to train for your show, Bear. Like, I. I, I I've been on it the one time and it, it is, it's, it's awesome. You ask really good questions, yeah. but it is like the marathon of cigar media. You have to prepare for it ahead of time. So that I was joking with Scott about that uh, yesterday. Uh, basically tell Scott not to schedule a Monday morning meeting. You have to do yeah. a bear shot. <laughs> <laughs> or just have an extra cup of coffee waiting for him. Either one. It's fine. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, so let's, we're going to get into some stuff, but we have to take care of a little preliminary business. Um, first, there is not going to be a Tobacco USA giveaway tonight. We still have to finish the other one out, and that's it was delayed because I was traveling, but there will be one next week. So, But we also have to do a very important thing, and we have to pick um, Bear's Cigar to smoke tonight. Uh, I'm going to be lighting up the Perdomo champagne tonight, uh, 10 dollars champagne. Um, but we usually give that honor to our guests. So, Bear, what do you have for our guests to choose to pick for you to smoke all right so uh it, it's it, it's going to come up later tonight a little bit but uh but in honor of our guest tonight i did pick uh a, i did pick a beautiful lu- luxury pca exclusive this is the asylum pca exclusive 2021 this is the box press the box. uh from asylum cigars um, there you go a uh, cigar that was heavily touted at this past year's trade show and very much sought after by uh, smokers and fans alike. The Foundation Cigar uh, Senator. Ooh. And I also have, I can't believe you think of this, we think of this cigar as an oldie but a goodie, but it kind of is at this point. Former number one cigar of the year winner for Cigar Aficionado and highly sought after uh, luxury cigar, the La Flor Dominicana Andalusian Bull, the original size. No, I did not snag an NFT. Uh, I am not made of money. So, but those are the cigars that we have tonight. Um, um, I'm not sure who to uh, to give the honor to. So, uh, gentlemen, if you'll humor me, I'm thinking of a number between one and 10, the closest to it, or whoever nails it, will get to choose my cigar. Glenn, if you would do the honor of picking a number between one and 10, please. Six. Josh? I'm going to take five. 
The number is three. So Josh wins it. It's closest to. These are not price of right, or prices right rules. So uh, Glenn, I'm sorry about that, but thank you for participating. Uh, Josh, which uh, cigar would you like me to smoke tonight? I think, you know, we got to stay true to the uh, PCA exclusive. So I would go with the Asylum. Box press, right. smoked quite a few of those. I mean, I, I love all three of those cigars. I've smoked them. Uh, the Bull is a personal favorite, but the PCA exclusive will we'll stay uh, proud for the association. There you go. What Real quick, before we get into the heavy hitting stuff, I mean, what do you, you know, Glenn, I've seen you smoke a number of different things over the years and everything, but like, what's, what, what are you really favoring these days? Like what's like, what's a couple of, I, I know you, you're in a different, a difficult position not to try to play favorites, but like, what's something that you've smoked lately? Like you keep going back to that you've been really enjoying. When you've got so many wonderful benefactors of the PCA, how do you do that? I mean, I always go back to the quote of Jorge Armenteros. Uh, who all of you know through Tobacconist University shop a little taste of Cuba when he says we are living in a renaissance time of cigar making I mean that's just absolutely poetic and he's absolutely right um, I agree yep you know I don't think I don't it's hard to say that anybody's putting out something that I wouldn't smoke um, at this juncture. I mean, I've, I've really been gravitating towards uh, foundation. I, I don't think they know how to make a bad blend. Um, but, you know, I, I go back and I, I gravitate to Ashton VSGs. And they've been around for, for decades. Oh, man. They're my jam. I spend the rest of my life smoking them. Yep. Uh, you know, and I always say I've got favored by price ranges. I like the Pearl Del Mar uh, Maduro. Oh, love that cigar. Out of J.C. Newman. Uh, Josh, Josh and our other compatriot at PCA, Ryan, came down and visited me in my home a couple of weeks ago. and um, I, I took him to our local cigar club. And who gave you an Andalusian bull, Josh? Who gave you a bull? You did, and it was, it was very good, very old, and uh, you know, seasoned. I mean, it. I, we. That's one of the nice things about our team is that um, on the weekends we'll ha hang out. I mean, we yeah. we are um, friends. Uh, you know, we're colleagues, but we have a good camaraderie, and um, I think that helps us in in our jobs. We all, Ryan, also on our team. We are big cigar smokers. I mean, we're in the office, uh, like we're preparing for a big event tomorrow with congressional staff, members of Congress, uh, the ambassador, and we have uh, PDR, uh, La Polina, Fratello, and Romacraft. They are, you know, providing the cigars for the event. So we've been kind of testing those and, you know, it's kind of whatever folks send us, um, you know, we'll, we'll experience those. And, and, uh, you know, I, I also have been getting into some of the cigar working with brands, um, and, um, on kind of the marketing side, and we just did a real fun project, uh, with Alec Bradley. And that's what I'm smoking now is the Chicago typewriter. Um, you know, I'm not making money from these projects. It's, I enjoy kind of the creative side of things and leveraging connections. We 
paired a spirit and a, uh, a rye whiskey with the cigar. And um, it's, it's turned out really well. Alec Rubin was the, the blender of this. And it's something that, you know, I asked him to create a, a size that I could smoke between uh, going from the Senate and the House. So it's a four by 52. Um, also, it kind of completes the trifecta. I've done a cigar uh, from Nicaragua, done a cigar from the Dominican Republic, and now a cigar from Honduras. So if I'm ever with those uh, folks, I will never be empty handed. That's, a, that's actually a good trifecta to have. Yeah, very good job there. Uh, and then just for folks, um, we I didn't introduce the titles, and I apologize. Josh is the uh, Deputy Executive Director for the Premier Cigar Association, and Glenn is the State Advocacy uh, Director, um, and formerly the uh, Executive Director of Cigar Director, Rights of America. I was going to say, I still get to call you Director, Glenn. Aren't, aren't, you, aren't you excited? Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> so can y'all uh, hear me? people keep saying they can't hear me can y'all hear me better or it's um, if you if you lean up it's a little bit when you lay back i think the mic gets a little yeah. bit uh, muddled so well, yeah. That, yeah. yeah that's when it, that's when it's a little muddled that's yeah. when yeah that's when it's a little muffled so okay. all right is this better yeah yes sir and the alistair cook the alistair cook look is not may not work unless we yeah <laughs> alistair uh, cook man there's a throwback uh masterpiece theater uh but uh, I know, Glenn, you can't smoke tonight. You're taking one for the team. We do appreciate that, by the way. Uh, but well, Josh, what are you smoking? Get a cigar bar that I could talk in, maybe. Uh... Yeah, that's the you know that's the problem. We we have people. Can we do it in a cigar lounge? And I'm like, guys, that's the unless you could guarantee me a quiet room. Uh, it's the worst place because the thing is, like, we, the big the biggest complaint we'll get is audio. People can live with video. That's not great, but the audio is the one they can't live with. So. That's the one I just said. As long as we have good audio, we could do it. So I know it's hard to do that sometimes. And, and I know folks are on the road, and I appreciate you going doing the show, though. So uh, we're not going to bust on you too hard for not being able to smoke. Uh, I swear. I've got right beside me. I could reach over. I've got a bag full. I was going to light up, you know. I, I, I always like, especially on shows like this, to, to talk about uh, shop exclusive because then I don't get in trouble because it's a cigar shop exclusive. You mean the retailers won't yell at you then? <laughs> no, yeah, they don't yell at me less if, if I'm smoking. <laughs> and it's only available at their cigar shop. Yeah. You come up, Phil Ledbetter, Josh, and he was one of them that gave me uh, his La Aurora up-down ex exclusive. Well, over here to my side, I've got a bag full of uh, Georgetown Tobacco Caucus. I mean, no, there's no better political name for a cigar than the Caucus. I'll say. Uh, you remember Jeff had house resolution years ago? I still got a box of house. Yeah, yeah, those, I still have, yeah they're, they're made still, by the Newmans. Yeah, I still, I think he still sells them. Yeah, I, I, think think I should say he still does sell them. Yeah. yeah, good cigar for the pride. Yeah, I love those names, caucus and house. Yeah, they're good. One. If Glenn wasn't so stingy, I would have the Glenn Loop cigar and I would be smoking that, that. That's a true unicorn, Josh, in fairness, though. Those are like mm -hmm. hard to get. I think it's time to start talking politics. <laughs> 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 something a little something a little less and, and josh what are you smoking just uh so i'm smoking the new chicago type right you said that yeah yep. which yeah. sold yeah. out and then i'm gonna go to the uh arturo fuente grand reserva after yep. that all right so just rub it into glenn uh yeah all right so so guys um again thanks uh there's i know there's a lot we're gonna cover do how do you guys want to do you want to start with federal first or state i mean we could do this however you guys want Oh, Josh is the boss. Let's go federal. <laughs> well, 
All right. So federal stuff. Right. So a lot going on on federal. Um, I'll let you guys, Josh, if you want to kick it off, I have some, or I can kick it off with some things that, that maybe are, you know, we want to hit, but um, I mean, there may be some things you want to tell us that we're not aware of. So maybe I'll let you just kick it off and then I'll fill in some of the stuff as we go along. For sure. You know, I think uh, we've hit the ground running. We've done a lot of uh, preparatory work, you know, at the end of last year, coming into this year, uh, Glenn mentioned the visit to uh, Roanoke that Ryan and I did. And a lot of it was substantive planning for, um, you know, what our priorities are going to be. We're preparing for our board meeting, which will be next week for, for PCA and kind of defining what, um, the goals are given the makeup of Congress, given the makeup of the state legislatures. And um, right now we're in the midst. We're about halfway through. There were 87 new members of Congress elected. Um, we're meeting with their staff as well as um, the members themselves to talk about the differences between premium cigars and other tobacco products. I think that the court case uh, from last year We've seen uh, a, a ripple effect, a positive ripple effect, where it's the narrative has changed. Um, people recognize the distinctions between premium cigars, um, and it's kind of getting more granular. I went into an office today, and and it was very simple. Oh, you, you know, you don't have to go over the basics of it. Um, so that's been a positive trend. I think the media, mainstream media, has kind of hit on the fact that a lot of folks are smoking cigars in the Capitol. Um, nothing's really changed there in the personal offices. You've always been allowed to do that. Uh, but in leadership, Tom Cole, uh, Tom Emmer, who used to, who's the uh, uh, co-chair of the Congressional Cigar Caucus, uh, they are smoking in their U.S. Capitol offices. So that has been a, been a bit of a change. But you see a lot of staff members uh, I was with a South Carolina member and staff where we went to the roof overlooking the Capitol and had a cigar after our meeting. Uh, so I, I think that the, that coupled with a lot of the attention in the sports leagues, which I know um, there were a few folks that did a show about the celebratory cigars. There's a surround sound effect of that where um, people have a lot of enthusiasm and a positive um, viewpoint towards cigars. And we've seen that on the policy end where, and Glenn will go into the states, 75% of the legislation thus far that has been introduced has been positive, 25% negative. Now, my I've been with PCA for four years. That's the only time where we've seen that yeah. distribution of, of, of legislation. You know, Josh, the whole Joe Burrow thing, I've been really following this in the mainstream media. And they've done an admirable job is what I'll say. Um, they, they obviously they don't know our business, but let me tell you something. You know, they they when they when for example when he lit up the Lafleur's, they kind of there was one piece that wrote up a little. Hey, who's this is what Lafleur is all about? You know, and it was a small little piece, but it was something out there. You know, where we're seeing some of those things happen, and that that can only be a positive in my view. Um, no matter how you look at that, it's like, you know, it's great for these small companies. It's just great for our industry and our craft here. I, I, it, it was wonderful to see this over the last few weeks, for sure. And, and, you're, and it's not too uh, widely broadcast right now, but, you know, on the political side with uh, members of Congress, a lot of them are creating their own signature cigars. 
for their bands. And we've been getting requests to kind of facilitate conversations with manufacturers. You know, their campaign has to buy them, but it's, you know, yeah. forever. And, um, I, you know, I, I don't want to disclose too much, but um, we've had some very senior level members of Congress um, that had cigars during the campaign and now are looking for uh, cigars to have in their office or, you know, in, in the outdoor areas to, to serve to constituents. That's that's a great that's great to hear that. Now, historically and Bear, maybe you can fill this in, too. Was this something that was done like many, many years ago that campaigns would have their own cigars that they hand out? Was that something that was done? Yeah, yeah, definitely historically. I mean, uh, if you look at the cigars and politics, they ha have always been uh, intertwined. And you look at lobbying itself, you know, my my job, you know, has a different title. You know, Glenn has a different title, but in essence, we are lobbyists. Right. And the term lobbyist originates from the Willard Hotel in Washington, D.C., right near the Treasury and near the White House where President Ulysses S. Grant would sit and drink brandy and smoke cigars and lobbyists would come to the lobby of that hotel to you know, ask for things, to educate the president and to talk to his people to get policy done. So right. uh, I think the historical is, is, is intertwined throughout that. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's cool. That's, that's, that's exciting to hear that um, happen right yeah. now. A lot of presidential campaigns used uh, cigars or other other tobacco uh, paraphernalia and stuff like so. That's why um, you see a lot of like old school boxes, you know, had political figures, not just historically. Like at mm -hmm. the time, they weren't historic. Like like we look back and like, oh look, that's really great, the Rutherford B Hayes or or uh, you know Calvin Coolidge or whatever. But you know, I mean, these were at the time they were what you know modern figures uh, as they were becoming more popular and everything so i'm, I'm interested to get glenn's takeaway on this glenn you've been in advocacy for uh for the, for the scar industry for over a decade now um and you know from your time at cra have you seen a more i guess just really positively influential grassroots uh, presence of cigars and it then what's taken over sports the last couple of years because of Joe Burrow and all these other people smoking cigars, even, even LeBron James after the NBA championship, puffing on a Drew Estate uh, shade, underground shade, you know? Well, you're bringing up those examples because you're younger than I am. But sure. Through the olden times. <laughs> Through the well, I know that they've been presence and there's been presence in locker rooms before that. But Glenn, I'm, Glenn, I'm on that olden times with you, so uh, there's no. I mean, then, then, I'm trying to have a flashback, and Coop, you might be able to remember this better than me. But if I'm not mistaken, the Hoya de Nicaragua was the official cigar of the Nixon White House. Correct. Correct. Thank you. See, I get Bing, 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 Bing. In fact, yeah. Well, we just actually. It's, I was when we were down in Nicaragua, Hoya to Nicaragua. That's something they're really proud of. They 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 talk about that on their factory tour. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that means they were gone after he resigned from office, I guess. But anyway, uh, let's, let's Ford let's Ford kind of kept some, yeah. But uh, anyway, I think that dramatizes the fact that Hoya to Nicaragua was the official cigar of the White House. Says we're we're reaching back and and. You can obviously go back to you to a Ulysses S. Grant, 
you know, I, I remember the the movie John Adams that was filmed here in, in Virginia. Uh, at one time or another, John Adams had a pipe or a cigar in his mouth throughout that entire movie. Um, tobacco has obviously always been an intricate part of the of our political uh, culture, if you will, uh, since the founding of the republic in one form or another. And I think we could substantiate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln picked tobacco. And, I mean, and one point that I, I want to definitely make is that it's bipartisan too. Um, I think a lot of the narrative was that, you know, the changeover with Republicans and um, you have Democrats and Republicans sharing a cigar. You have, you know, uh, a lot of, uh, of Democrats are routine cigar enthusiasts and we're a bipartisan organization so we have to you know foster that and i'm excited this year the congressional cigar caucus will be bipartisan last year it was republican only um and uh we're going to have some some great democrats participating in, in in that as well um you know obviously with the the change um in in leadership at republicans on the tax front uh uh typically are better. Um, so we don't expect to have uh, like the build back better taxes where it was kind of all on hand, hands on deck fighting that. But it gives us the ability to kind of go on the offensive, whether it be federally or in the states or even internationally and locally uh, to start, you know, making it better for our brick and mortar retailers, for consumers, for the, you know, the industry at large. Um, one of the th- pieces that Glenn and I just wrote for Ash Quarterly recently was talking about relooking at the indoor smoking bans in a lot of the city mm-hmm. states and, and trying to repeal those or provide exemptions for adult verified uh, you know, venues, whether it's a cigar lounge or cigar shop or a secondary or tertiary business. I, I spent some time in Louisville, Kentucky in early January, and that's that's crazy. I mean, there, there's lost revenue, there's lost tax dollars, there's lost jobs in cities like that that have obviously the Kentucky Derby, the Bourbon Trail, a lot of endless opportunity. So we're kind of going through our playbook and identifying some areas where we can have positive action for uh, the industry rather than always being defensive. And I think it stems from the court case wins where we have the latitude to do that. Josh, I'm sorry, Coop. I have, I want to ask a really simplified question here. And I, um, and I, because I don't think it's ever been discussed on our show. But what makes the premium cigar industry so attractive for bipartisan issues? There's, I mean, there's so much, there's so much divide in this country, and we we don't have enough time uh, nor the inclination to go into that. But there is a huge divide in this country over a basically any issue that you want, and and like you mentioned a second ago, Josh, it, it has you know at least in the recent recent memory, recent memory has leaned more to one party than the other. But you guys have done a fantastic job of really exploiting the bipartisan effort. Yeah. What makes it a bipartisan issue? I think it's the the enjoyment, um, the privacy of it. So a lot of our events that we've been you know putting together it, at the townhouse, you will have people that may might be the one time a week where you have Republicans and Democrats in one room. It's laid back. Um, it's you know we're we're not 
force feeding an agenda. There, there's a time and place to educate, to bring people together, um, and and to then talk substantive policy. Um, so you know, it's it's a slow burn. It's not something that you know we can do instantaneously. Where and you know, there are still contentious moments. But I do think that the relaxing nature of, of cigars, cigar lounges, and the culture of it is conducive for people to come together um, and, and, and share one. I think in the previous show, we talked about even a, a, a fundraiser for a Republican. You had a Democratic member of Congress come. And um, that really speaks to the nature of it, where you know at tomorrow's event, we're going to have a dozen members of Congress from both parties. Uh, we're going to have 250 staffers, and uh, the diversity of it's great. I, we were looking at the the RSVP list, and you have people from all parts of the country. Um, you know, men, women, uh, Democrat, Republican, and and I think that's important. We want to capture um, the the fact that uh, cigars are for everyone that's of adult age. Yeah, and Bear, I'm glad you asked that question because actually my comment was going to be similar to that where, um, you know, going back with Glenn, I mean, I just remember when I met Glenn in Milan Tobacco in Roanoke and, and he, the first meeting I had with him, he, he kind of talked about being a cigar voter and the concept of bipartisanship. And, and, and I think, Glenn, you've, you've, you've held to that throughout your whole tenure at CRA and, you, uh, you know, you know it, it's been a great fit with PCA. So uh, bravo to that, by the way, because I, I, Bear and I have been big advocates of the bipartisanship of this. And when we see it in action, I think it's a great thing. Well, I remember one time when the Congressional Cigar Caucus was first getting off the ground, we uh, were at this event and Congressman John Klein of Minnesota, uh, uh, arch conservative, uh, was standing beside Chicago liberal Jesse Jackson Jr. when they were both in Congress. And Congressman Klein said, and this is a verbatim quote. He said, we're up on that hill every day and we fight like cats and dogs. Can't stand each other. Going at each other's throats all day long. But I know that at night, if I can sit down with my friend here and have a cigar, we can come up with a solution. And then he said the most profound thing that's on the lines of this, of this discussion. He said, that makes cigars an instrument of bipartisanship. Mm -hmm. great and i'll, I'll do, you know it's like something we ought to write in a cigar bible yeah 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 that's beautiful profound i mean he here here it is just a cigar smoker he's not there but he's not in the united states congress to represent us he, he just simply enjoyed cigars and jesse jackson jr did as well jesse jackson jr smoked in his office um had all the capital uh humidors that that were put out that like we some of us have got um you couldn't get more politically stark differences yep john oh yeah here it is they were hugging each other and and telling stories and yep. being congenial to each other and enjoying a great cigar together and I, I wished i had that lita was there that night as a matter of fact i remember i'm having a flashback lita was there that night and and we just sat there and kind of looked at it in an amazement, like a piece of cigar history was being made in front of us. Josh, you brought up the, um, the court case. 
we still haven't gotten we we know what it is, right? But Judge Meta has not yet kind of given the finality of this yet, right? What yes. he's so what where does that stand right now? Where do we expect what are we expecting right now? We're and, still still waiting any day. I mean, it, it could take place. Uh Judge Meta has been very busy. We check daily to see when right. the opinion is, is going to be released. And he just had a, another 70-some page uh, opinion on a, on a different case. I know that he has been involved um, in a lot of the January 6th stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that is kind of yeah. taken uh, priority in my, my understanding of it. But, um, you know, we're, we're waiting patiently for it. Um, you know, whatever the decision um, and the remedy for that decision, uh, we'll be prepared to communicate that to the industry, but also have um, some additional steps in regards to that. We want to insulate the or insulate or inoculate the industry from future problems or future litigation that's costly. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, we talked a little bit about um, in, in, in our past conversations about kind of self-regulation or, um, you know, standards or, or codes, um, you know, we're waiting for the judge's decision. Once that's released, um, you can expect from PCA a, a quick turnaround with those standards and codes. They're ready to go, um, but we want to wait for the judge's decision um, and have that finality before we release it. Yeah, and I agree with that. So you guys, that's good. You guys have kind of got your steps uh, going with that. I mean, is the delay, is there anything to be concerned with a delay? Is Maybe I'll ask if you're a cigar smoker and you're seeing a delay. You know, in business, sometimes delays are never a good thing. So is this is this something that's good or bad or indifferent here? I, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think it's a problem. I think that, you know, the scope of the actual remedy, um, the delay is a little bit tricky. You know, right. is it going to affect user fees? Um, you know, people are continuing to pay those user fees currently. Right. Uh, there, you know, there's a prohibition on donating cigars to the military by right. the industry. You know, things like that. I, I mean, what what is the full scope of what the, the judge is going to get into in that remedy? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's going to be something that we're going to have to really look once the opinions released. Um, you know, I, I was in the, the courtroom with uh, Rocky and, and our, our legal team uh, during the oral arguments. And, you know, it was an exciting sigh of relief to at least get the win. I mean, I, I every uh, congressional meeting that I have, I like to remind the members of Congress that we're three and oh against the FDA. Um, so, you know, that is. Hopefully, now that you have the NASM report and the Reagan Udall Foundation report that basically says there's dysfunction in the FDA, they didn't take these steps, they will have some restraint and not um, shoot first and ask questions later when it comes to regulating. Although I think that they've run counter with that already with their intention with the flavor, uh, characterizing flavor ruling, uh, as well as uh, the nicotine maximum threshold, which will be coming out later in the year. And I'm happy to get into to those things. Sure. Yeah, we definitely want to hit those as well, as far as that goes, for sure. Um uh, as far as the nascent report goes, um, I guess one thing I had a fear of when I read this, when I read the report, 
and I'm maybe I'm selfish, but I'm really worried about advertising right now because it seemed like there was definitely some stuff where they were targeting advertising, and obviously that affects what we do right now. Yeah. Um. What's PCA's kind of stance on that? You know, for that because that that could have a devastating effect for for not just media but the cigar brands as well. For sure. You know, in the Pallone bill that was introduced, uh, not the last Congress, but the previous one, there were a lot of restrictions about advertising. And we mentioned cigar media. Um, You know, we're we're fighting for the industry and the ability to communicate to consumers information Um, in our uh, filing on the public comment docket for the flavor rule. That was also one of our concerns. The FDA does not um, define characterizing flavors. So if Cigar Coop or Cigar Aficionado or Cigar Journal describes something having notes of chocolate or notes of cinnamon, much like you do wine and bourbon, is that going to trigger a prohibition? Um, similarly, shelf talkers for manufacturers or you know even telling their sales forces, the they were so vague in that rule or in the. Uh, the proposed rule that there's a lot of gaps and we've highlighted those gaps across it. They did a terrible job with the small business impact, which SBA um, acknowledged and and we've had conversations Mm -hmm. with them as well as the international impact up until we said something. And this was, I participated in three forums in the lead up to this, this uh, proposed rule they had made no mention and they checked the box saying it would have no international impact. So, um, you know, they failed a, a, across the board. We had a productive conversation with the new uh, director, uh, Brian, Dr. Brian King. Um, but the policy that has come forth so far hasn't been a, a vast departure from uh, the Mitch Zeller years. So we're going to continue to, you know, keep our foot on the gas, mm-hmm. oppose things. Uh, but you're right with the, the advertising side of things. That is what we were concerned with as well as an association. And um, in, in response to some of that, we have materials ready to go. We're waiting on the judge's decision. So you, you all can hold us to that. Um, you know, it is not that we have been um, neglecting to do that. I know we have talked about it. We talked about it at the trade show, um, but we made a decision to wait until the judge's decision before. Okay. We Understood on that. This is a this is a two part question, potentially. And I think both of you can add something to it. Glenn, Glenn and I have had this discussion about the, the, the war on flavored cigars in the past. And it seems like we're really picking up steam in advocacy and fighting for it. Where in time before, it, you know, Glenn, I don't want to paraphrase you too much. And if I'm mischaracterizing our previous conversation, please correct me. But it was just too many fronts that we were fighting. Is it, you know, with the with the great decision and and kind of window that we got, the window of opportunity we got from last year's decisions from Judge Meta. did that open up the window, the opportunity and the resources for us to now kind of open up this front a little bit and, and confront the war on flavor? Is that to me? Either one. I, I don't want to, if I did, if I mischaracterized if your, your previous statement, I, you please feel free to bring me, but I, that's kind of what I remember our conversation like before we just were fighting too many fronts you know, 
And uh, but I think it, it, it seems like we have picked up steam in the you know in the past twelve months on this particular issue, and I, I didn't know if that was because of the this window of opportunity that we seem to have gotten. I mean, Josh can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's more because of the advocacy shift at PCA. Um, and I, I don't say that flippantly. I think it's because uh, PCA is committed to defending the bottom line of its retail members. And flavors constitute anywhere, and Josh, again, correct me if I'm wrong, it, it can range from 15 to 35%. And that's depending on how you define flavor. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. But it wasn't until the last 12, 18 to 24 months that we have been this engaged in state flavor bands that we'll talk about in a little while. But uh, I, I think that's really what's opened up the Pandora's box is, is PCA's advocacy shift, strategy shift. Um, and, and listen, the, the narrow definition of, of premium cigars has served this industry well. It served it well politically. It served, its well, served it well in a judicial context. Um, and that there's a case to be made for that to this day but as we've been fond of saying ever since the pre-nasum ever since really the issuance of the the first deeming rule i think it's important to remember that there's a big that we started saying there's a very very big difference between regulation and prohibition and the fda right now today is committed to prohibition of flavored products and that that's on the table but that proves that how we have to consistently make the case to defend the bottom line for our retail members and i think i think again the advocacy shift at pca has allowed us to do that josh yeah i would just add that you know we have created feedback loops with our membership uh, we did a survey and 93% of our retail members said that they carry a flavor product. Um, so we had to engage in that low of, of this, of this rule. Um, I'm, I'm being, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. 90, only 93% of them do. 93% say that they carried a foot uh, a flavored product. So I'm know, shocked. It's not higher. I know that's a big number. I'm just shocked. That's not higher. And you know, I think we had over 300 respondents in, in that survey, but that's high enough to, to trigger the, the advocacy of full opposition, sure. not qualified opposition uh, or anything like that. The association has uh, continually fought flavor bans at the state level, um, you know, even before my time. Uh, federally, I think we made a, a decision that we can walk and chew gum at the same time that we can believe that a, a premium cigar meets this strict definition, but any restrictions on, on these other products that our, our members carry um, 
you know, we have to go and activate on their behalf. And, you know, pipe tobacco is not included, but that's a flavored product. Uh, that's something that I know uh, in the name change, people were concerned whether oh, this PCA represent that. Absolutely. Um, in our comment, we, we said keep pipe tobacco out of it. But the fact of the matter remains that the FDA doesn't have the data uh, to support the initiation of this uh, full flavor prohibition or characterizing flavor rule, um, you know, they shifted the goalpost. And th this is what you see often in tobacco control. Give them, give them an inch and they're going to take a mile. Um, right. You know, it's not about youth access. If you read the rule itself, it says that it affects uh, disparate communities. Um, LGBTQ communities, African-Americans disproportionately, that's the justification for the, for the rule. And I think it's insulting that, um, you know, it, it, an adult can't make the decision for themselves about what products they enjoy and what they don't enjoy. And intentionally, the FDA released this rule alongside the menthol cigarette prohibition. Yep. So again, you see conflation mm -hmm. and it's, Right after the Reagan Udall Foundation uh, re released their report, what, what did the FDA do? They met with the uh, body parts lobby, so to speak, or the anti-tobacco groups to get their feedback on this. They didn't meet with other stakeholders. So, you know, it's, it's tough when we're, we're not playing on a level, you know, level playing field. We are happy to engage in any of those forums wherever we're asked. Um, to provide the information. Fortunately, we have the PATH study, we have the NASIM study, we have the Reagan Udall uh, Foundation report that we can, you know, push back on this narrative um, uh, against some of these draconian actions. Okay. I might be yeah. stating my ignorance here. The FDA is a bipartisan body and entity, are they not? By they, definition? They are an impartial regulator. Is, okay. I don't uh, think you can invoke bipartisan in that. Yeah, they're, they're supposed to be apolitical. Apolitical. That was going to be my next word. Right. Um, so if that's the case, uh, if they're supposed to be, if 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 that's the case, why why wouldn't they have sought feedback from from our side of the? They they didn't even allow the feedback in the oral in the oral discussions. Correct? Like you guys wanted to get oral and you guys couldn't do it, right? Did we get yeah. an answer on that? That's probably a fair unfair question for me to say why. Just in, so blanketly, but in the flavor and there, the I will say the communications office of the FDA has been um, engaged with us. They have, you know, they sent representatives to the trade show. Um, they, you know, uh, set up the meeting with Dr. King. Um, however, outside of that, the policy and some of the carryovers from the Mitch Zeller uh, era, they they've continued to be problematic. They've kind of pushed this agenda of the anti-tobacco groups, but we tried to present um, in the, the uh, flavor uh, rule as they had a, a open session, we ended up sit, submitting a written comment to it, but they had 20 or 30 um, anti-tobacco kids that were under the age of 18 presenting from all these different groups, you know, the West Virginia students against tobacco and that, and it's like, you know, we, we represent the largest U.S. small business contingency in this arena. We, it, this rule is going to affect our members 
you know, other outside of a, a couple large manufacturers, it will affect our members the most. So it's unfair. And, you know, we called attention to that in the Reagan Udall Foundation report. And that's one of the things we're not going to be bashful as, as an organization. We have some pretty hard hitting op-eds, um, you know, things that are, are in the pipeline calling out some of these, um, you know, issues of how the FDA is not only operating through the regulatory process, but how they are getting input and feedback and going through uh, the public comment process. And Josh, that's great because that the judge called that out. I mean, the judge found that, like how they tried to manipulate, you know, some of the data um, and, and they called that out. So I think that's a great thing to go on the offensive with that. I, I wholeheartedly believe, and, and I don't know whether this is a, a PCA battle to fight or to support others within the industry that are going to fight this fight. But if they do release a final flavor rule um, in August, which they're expected to do, it's going to lead to litigation. Um, yeah, they have screwed up this process just as much as some of the other, uh, you know, rulemakings that they've done where we have already won and they have not heeded the advice. And it's it's tough because the, their coffers are a lot bigger than our coffers. Uh, but, you know, I can see a, a world where we're filing in a, a miscus brief, um, you know, in, in support of litigation uh, against the, the characterizing flavor rule. Again, I don't need to show my naivety here, but like in your experience working, uh, I guess, in con uh, in conjunction and against the FDA in, in this particular area, Josh, and Glenn, you can answer as well, is are is there, are they intentionally vague or is it just a lack of, is it what we've been screaming from the hilltops all this time, the ignorance and they just, the lack of understanding or are they being intentionally vague to to open up the can of worms, so to speak. Len, you can answer this one first. My first response to that is I think there has been a deliberate <clears throat> strategy to create a one-size-fits-all regulatory program. One-size-fits-all. What's good for Marlboro is good for premium handmade cigars. Well, you and I know that that's not going to work. <clears throat> and I know the absurdity of that argument. But literally, I think there's just been this conscientious effort, whether it's because of the ease of it. And I think there's a lot to be said on their side. We're trying to design a program, a regulatory scheme that's easy is there, there has been such a concerted effort. You know, let me back up before I finish the statement. If you read the final rule that came out in 2016, there was such a conscientious effort to equate premium cigar regulation with cigarettes. Thousand percent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, the deeming rule, the deeming rule that came out in 14, and the final rule that came out in 16, everything smacked of equating cigars to cigarettes. And they were conveying that message on Capitol Hill. I remember one day sitting in Senator Bob Casey's office and with his chief of staff and legislative director. And he said, well, we got these calls from FDA. 
you, do you know about the nicotine and cigar equals a cigarette? And da, 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 it's like they, that's when we found what they were spreading around Capitol Hill. And now it's been this conscientious effort of anything nicotine. Anything <laughs> nicotine, whether it's smokeless, vape, e-cigarettes, cigarettes, pipe tobacco, or cigars, mass market or premium. It's oh, we've got to take this approach because it's all things nicotine. So I, I I think it's a combination of this prohibitionist mindset coupled with the ease of having a one-size-fits-all regulatory approach. And, and that's my two cents as to why they've taken this approach. What's really demonstrated the benefit of both the litigation and the political pressure is proving how different our products are. Mm -hmm. you know when a federal judge agrees with you that's not a bureaucrat not a, a advocate for anything but the law you know you're on to something mm -hmm. and uh, i, I word, agree that's where the word premium has become you know absolutely critical to our to our overall success i, I believe I agree with Glenn's perspective. The only thing that I would add is with the, the flavor rule in particular, I think that they were throwing spaghetti against the wall and, and trying to see what will stick. Um, where, where the outcry, I mean, over 80,000 comments were filed. They have to get through those. Um, and um, the, the one thing where I will say that the FDA has been very deliberate um, in their, their election of following congressional intent um, as it relates to premium cigars and, and, and some of the other, other categories as well. Um, you know, Congress does not have the intention of regulating premium cigars, much like, much like a cigarette or, or a vapor product. They understand those uh, distinctions. And um, that, that has, time and time again, um, there have been bills that have been introduced that ultimately did not pass. And unfortunately, I think that the FDA has determined uh, to go about it through regulatory fiat rather than following what Congress is telling them to do. And that's in our system of government. That's what they're supposed to do. You know, they need to enforce and, um, you know, create regulations that are authorized by Congress. Look at Tobacco 21 past Congress. And yet there were no regulations that were released by the FDA. Another failure of their duty, even though Congress told them to act. Um, oh God, I never mind. I, I, I can't go down this rabbit hole. Um, but you kind of opened the door. Um, sorry. I don't want to get too I don't want to get too in the weeds here because I know we've we've tackled this subject before and I know we're just on different sides of it. Tobacco 21. That 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 was a law passed by Congress. Was that not a was that not a a a law signed in by President Trump? Was that not a, an executive order? No, it, it was a law passed by Congress that was signed in uh, one of those omnibus large bills. It was snuck in um, in late December. I forget what what year it was. Uh, but, you know, it 19, the all, all these different, you know, pieces in this massive 900 page bill. It was, you know, one one provision in there. 
okay. was pushed by Philip Morris. Right. And they acted and the crazy thing there is they were actively spending millions of dollars um, trying to push for that. I think that they thought um, that they could stave off some of the other other regulations by getting that done. And I, I mean, I, I think that that has been an abscess failure. Coop, save me. I don't want to dive into no, the rabbit hole. No, I think I, no, okay. <laughs> so, so, you know, one thing that we're talking about Congress, um, it's uh, the exemption bills. And are there going to be a new set of exemption bills we're expecting uh, in both in both houses of Congress this year? Yes. Um, Senator Rubio has actually already introduced his bill, huh. um, you know, recently. Now, it's one of those things where I think from a messaging standpoint that it's always been, uh, you know, positive to see. PCA is not active. We're going to meet with Senator Rubio. We're going to meet. Uh, I, I presume Kathy Castor is also going to introduce uh, her, her bill. Um, we are not going to be actively devoting resources to those pieces of legislation, much like we did, didn't last Congress. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason being is the definitions are not uniform with what Judge Maida uh, has, yep. has determined, and they're not even uniform between the House and the Senate. So it creates confusion. We are moving in one direction. This is what a premium cigar is, what the judge utilized. Um, and, uh, you know, we appreciate uh, Senator Rubio and, and Representative Castor uh, putting awareness uh, to the premium cigar industry. Um, but it's not something that, uh, you know, given our limited resources that we're, we're, we're um, really pushing for. So I, I would say, you know, the barometer, like last Congress, there were other groups in the cigar industry that were actively trying to get co-sponsors. And, but there, to me, you have to look at it. Is there a path to victory? And the answer last Congress and the answer this Congress is no. Um, so, you know, we made a deliberate decision, um, you know, to, to do that. But they're still important to have those bills on the books, right? I mean, it, I, I get that impression. I've always got the impression that it's still important to have those exemption bills out there. I, I would love for, um, you know, those exemption bills to mirror what the judge made a definition is. Yep. Um, and, and that would be the most effective, um, in, in, in my opinion. And um, that's that's something that. You know, we've had discussions with our our board and, um, you know, determined like last year that the tax front, that was the most important federal fight. Um, and, um, you know, there wasn't a path to victory for it. Um, and in this Congress too, uh, the way that the distribution, um, I, I look back in the history and in 2016 was the year if something was going to get passed, if it was going to get across the finish line, that was the year to do it. Um, and, um, unfortunately it didn't transpire. So along the lines of those question, um, I go back cause I've been covering this now going back 13 years. So I remember the first set of bills actually got a working majority in the house. Um, but, but that, that's eroded over time. And, and I assume that's because of some of the changes in Congress, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and some of the other peripheral things, you know, the, um, it, it, it 
we spend a lot of time educating folks about the differences because, you know, the in the media about the vapor products, about, you know, youth epidemics, that has had an effect on um, our, our industry and, and the uh, advocacy that we've had to respond to. Right. And, um, you know, the key thing is federally, we don't want to see um, our members have to face any undue regulatory burdens. Um, we want to create a, a, a framework where there's a process, a simple process, one that's not costly. It doesn't require a lot of, uh, you know, personnel to be able to work within. Um, and I think at the state and the local level, that's where we can go in the yeah. offensive. If I'm, it's blocking and tackling. Yeah. I, if I can block everything at the federal level, you know, uh, Glenn can uh, run the ball and, and, and get uh, some touchdowns on the board. Right. And Josh, I'm not being critical of this at all. I'm not going to speak for bad, but on, in this case, I, I think you guys do have to support, put the resources in where you guys are getting the traction. So I, I, I'm not, I'm just asking the question, but I'm not being critical of it here. Yep. No, yep. I, so, yeah. we, we understand it. I mean, there were yep. discussions about it and, you know, if, if it comes up, in a congressional meeting, we're never going to tell somebody don't co-sponsor a, right. a bill. You know, it, it's uh, one of those things where, you know, we hope there's a lot of co-sponsors yeah. to it. But it to, to me, that's not the key metric of success of our, our federal government affairs program. I, I agree with you on that, too. I, I definitely agree on that case as well. I mean, it'd be nice if you had unlimited resource, but, but that's the reality is the industry doesn't. So. So uh, I, I applaud that on that. Josh, you said a second ago that you would like for these bills that get introduced to be consistent with the Meta decision. Is there any particular reason why they're not? Oh, that's a that's a loaded question. There's industry stakeholders. That's why I asked it. There's there's <laughs> industry stakeholders that have an interest in the definitions uh, of how how they are. Um, and, um, you know, they, they've been historically advocating for those positions. Uh, for instance, in the definition in the Rubio bill, it includes flavors and um, machine-made cigars. Uh, in the house, previous house versions, it's include, included machine-made cigars as well. So, um, you know, where we see the clearest path of, of getting out from the regulatory burdens of the FDA, it doesn't include flavors and it doesn't include machine made cigars. So that's, that's why I say the uniform um, definition for us is something that we're, we're pushing. I know Cigar Rights of America is also pushing that uniform agenda. Um, you know, it's a tricky issue because we have some great stakeholders, um, that have a vested interest in those definitions in particular. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those where uh, if the Rubio bill somehow passed or the Castor bill somehow passed, it would be a positive for the industry. It's not like we actively oppose these things. Um, but again, we're, we're making step, a political step. calculation in what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, nicotine. The nicotine uh, um, reduction movement, I guess, I don't know who I want to call it. Where does that stand right now? Uh, in the unified regulatory agenda, they said that they're going to release a proposed rule at the end of the year. Um, the key thing is, you know, what is the scope of this rule? Is it going to include all tobacco products? 
Um, and it, are they going to do studies about actual inhalation? Um, you know, if, if they do inhalation, we should be fine. If they're talking about nicotine content, and this is where it gets real tricky because they don't have a testing regime for premium cigars. How do you determine the nicotine content? We know that the nicotine content in cigars is uh, larger than some other tobacco products. Yeah. But again, it comes to the inhalation. Are you actually inhaling yeah. that nicotine? So um, it, again, it depends on how vague they are. We don't really know where, where they're headed with this. And we, we think that it could get delayed into next year. Okay. And the NASA report really didn't explain that well either from what I, they didn't really draw any conclusions from that. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, why, um, I guess this is a two part question again. I apologize. Why, um, why is there a continual focus or accept actually, why is there a continual acceptance that nicotine is the, the underlying issue to global health when there are other um, substances, additives, carcinogens, you know, laundry list of things added to these other products. And no one's, you know, everyone's pointing at the one common denominator rather than these other things that could potentially be harmful to one's health. Well, I think that we're, we're the first, we're the first category. If you look over in Europe and abroad, um, they're starting to look at caffeine and alcohol and sugar and, and, and meat. Um, there are um, movements that have been popping up in those other, other categories. However, you know, the, um, you know, people like Michael Bloomberg are financing anti-tobacco movements globally, and um, they have a lot of resources and they have groups out there that have a good mission at heart and a research arm. So it's hard to kind of contend and say, well, you know, this, like the American Cancer Society, for instance, or the American Heart Association, you know, a lot of people, even within the cigar industry, have donated to those causes, donated to those, you know, charities, but they have an advocacy arm that's prohibitionist. And, sure. um, you know, that's hard to, to contend with. So we yeah. have to, you know, push back on that narrative against an organization that does have credibility, that does have parts of it that are doing good work. But, um, you know, I think that um, you're going to see some of these other categories, especially in your in Europe with with caffeine and alcohol in particular, in the mm -hmm. next decade, uh, you're going to see the same veracity that you you do with tobacco. Uh, because, quite frankly, they are gutting tobacco um, in, in many countries where you're seeing these generational smoking bans or ideas of generational smoking bans, you know, how much further can you go until you go to the next category? Glenn, you've spent a lot of time in politics. Have you ever met a man more desperate in need of a cigar than Bloomberg? <laughs> Who would give him one? I would. I know you would. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> uh, he needs one. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, another thing that I had, and then Josh, if there's anything else on the federal, we could certainly talk about. I'm here, and, and I don't know a lot about this, so but I'm hearing about this consumption bill that's going on. What is this consumption bill thing? How does it affect tobacco? How does it affect premium cigars? Uh, what what consumption bill are, are you referring to? Uh, people were telling me about a consumption bill that would affect like about a tax on what you consume. Oh uh, yeah, the national sales tax. Yeah, uh, you know that that's something that it really has no no traction. It's not going to go anywhere in the okay. Senate. Um, you know, I think the the principle behind it is that it would repeal income taxes and all other types of taxes, and then have this national sales tax, um, you know, again, political calculation, they don't have the votes on this. Okay. So uh, you know, not something we have to be concerned with if it's not going to go anywhere. No, I, I think that, you know, when it comes to sales taxes, there, there are a couple increases. I think, you know, New York being the, the biggest one um, that we know is on the horizon. Those are credible threats that we're, you know, devoting resources to okay. mainly the stuff at the state level on the tax front, you know, Durbin, Dick Durbin. And um, uh, I expect him to introduce his bill again. Um, the Tobacco Tax Equity Act will probably be a House counterpart. But uh, but again, as long as they're not able to sneak something through and leadership, um, you know, isn't going to go for that, we should be able to stave that office in these next two years. Okay, that's good. That's good news. All right, Bear, anything that we missed on the federal level still that we should hit? Not on the federal. I wanted to bring something up on the states. Okay. Josh, did we anything else you want to talk about on the federal, what you guys are doing? I, I do want to cover international after we do state, though. So I'll hold off on some of the international stuff. Yeah, the, the only other thing that I would mention, um, you know, federally, well, quasi-federally, that we're starting to explore a lot more is the private sector. Um, and, you know, how our small businesses in, interact, for instance, like uh, texting tools, social media, communications mechanisms, uh, even things like PayPal and payment processing and their um, it, within their individual policies, again, non-governmental, but these are regulated in entities as well um, and arbitrarily shutting off um, the ability to use their products and services because they are in a tobacco industry. And that's something that we're fighting back against. Um, I think the texting tool and the CTIA and the uh, shaft guidance that they recognized, that was kind of the first opening salvo for us to get involved in some of that. Um, and we've had a lot of po positive conversations with CTIA. And I think a lot of members of Congress are, are you know, worried that if they can shut down a payment processor and hold a small business tobacconist money in limbo and in, in, in PayPal, um, can they do that for other businesses? Can they do that for, you know, political contributions? Can they do it for firearms or, you know, other, other industries? So um, that's a new frontier that um, we've explored last year and it's continued into this year. Um, I know that PCA is doing a couple of surveys, but there's going to be one for our retail membership specifically coming out in the next few weeks that is basically asking folks, have you had a problem with a private sector business? What tools are you using? And that also helps 
um, our government affairs team take that information and share that with the other parts of PCA um, to develop preferred vendor programs and preferred partnerships for businesses that um, want to do want to do business with tobacco, um, you know, small businesses. So, Josh, along those lines, there was something that happened last year where there was um, and you could kind of fill in the blanks where I'm, I'm not telling it right. But there was a a lot of cigar companies would promote uh, do pro- this is kind of related to promotion. They do a lot of their event promotion through text messaging. And I was starting to hear of several um, companies saying that you they that they would no longer allow their software to be used for that. And as a result, a lot of those text message communications stopped. And from what I understand, that was not that was kind of being driven from like a mobile associ- a mobile communication association. Yep. Um, What's what's the status of that? I know PCA w- was was looking at that. I know you and I had a con- I think you and I had a conversation maybe last year on this too. What, yep. What's what's that stand right now? And maybe so you could fill in the blanks where I didn't tell it right. Yeah, the CTIA, the Wireless Association. That was the one. Okay, you mentioned it. Yep. They uh, released the shaft guidance, which is sex, hate, alcohol, firearms, and tobacco. Right. Um, and and it and it talks about. The, the different service levels of, of, you know, what you can and cannot do. Um, and it's a very broad document. It's not a, a law passed. It's not a regulation. It's as if, if, you know, PCA, when we release something, it's, you know, guidance for our membership. Um, there's a working group of the carriers, like your, you know, Verizons mm-hmm. or uh, AT&T, T-Mobile, uh, folks like that, we actually responded and submitted a document um, based off of uh, concerns of our membership. And like you said, some of those text uh, messages were not sent. Um, and the problem with it was a lot of the third party vendors. So let's say you have a customer loyalty program where, you know, you go to your shop and you spend uh, $10 and you get your email address uh, you get a free cigar on your birthday or a discounted cigar. Or, you know, you haven't been there in a while. You get $5 uh, to come and shop. Well, a lot of those text messages were being shut off, weren't being sent. And the retailer wasn't being told that they were sent. It would come back and they would say that uh, you have insufficient credits. Well, I, you know, a lot of it's a, a simple contract law where, you know, you're told that you have this service, you're paying for this service, these companies marketed this service to you, and then it's being shut off two weeks after you sign up for this subscription. So we highlighted those facts, we sent it over, and the the working group actually um, determined, and, and they gave us some good feedback, that the prohibitions and the actual stoppage of these text messages being sent were meant for illicit substances or cannabis, which is still federally prohibited. And they would extend it over to tobacco products and vapor products. So, you know, we we made the clarification, this is what it's being used for, especially when it comes to event promotion. So if, you know, uh, Rocky Patel or Alec Bradley or Perdomo are doing an event and they're coming, you know, our members want to be able to promote the event. It's not a hard, it's not even a hard sale of tobacco products. 
And we're, we're working with the association, uh, CTIA, to come up with, you know, there's age verification steps that retailers can do as they're setting up these customer loyalty programs where an ID showed, you enter a birth date, and they should be able to send them an email, text message, you name it, it point of sale verification. So there's the technology, and I think CTIA would even admit this, that the guidance and the technology, there's a gap. And right now, it's cooperatively trying to fill that gap where people that are voluntarily asking for this information will eventually get this information. Um, Not to get too geeky or techie because I don't fully understand it. Um, My understanding is uh, short codes and long codes. um, As it relates to that, uh, I believe the uh, uh, long codes will send out text messages. The short codes is where you know, you know, there's been issues in sending those communications. Right. If for what CTIA took this position, wasn't it because of use? Like they were worried about use getting access to this stuff. That and a lot of people were getting spammed. Um, you know, from different companies, you would get messages from, uh, you know, uh, even even political campaigns that you didn't sign up for, and yep. it was really putting stress on the overall system itself. And they're like, Hey, we got to get rid of this. So, you know, I think their, their intentions are, are good. Um, Not every carrier is the same either. And they have individual policies. So it's becoming, uh, we have heard, and, and, and I don't, I'm not stating this as a fact that there are one or two carriers that are anti-tobacco um, and, and that's where some of the issues have, have come from. But the other thing that we're big on, um, you know, if it's being shut down and it's not being sent, they, act, they have to have some type of disclosure to let the retailer and the employees know, um, because a lot of our folks were un- under the assumption that messages were getting sent that were not. Right, uh, and I think that's that is one of the the greater injustices of of that discussion. Oh, definitely, definitely. I and I that part I didn't realize was also a I, a problem with some of those loyalty programs and stuff too. Yeah, that's that absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, do we want to move over to states at this point? I know Glenn's been waiting patiently. Glenn? Question? Yep, you're ready to talk about the state piece. Is that my cue? That's your cue. Okay. So, Bear, we'll do states, we'll do president segment, yeah. and then we'll do international. I'm okay. just going to walk you. I saw a notepad, which a uh, big notepad, actually. <laughs> Did you bring Nick? I don't travel with Nick. Nick, Nick has to stay home. <laughs> Nick, what, what am I missing? My, my Come on, Coop. You haven't paid attention I have to like, the 15 interviews we've done with Glenn. Seriously. You heard Man. Oh, I, okay. Seriously. I, I, I just became the favorite. Glenn, Glenn has hated me for years and loved you, Coop. It's just changed. This I'm is live. This is live podcasting. I've always loved you, Bear. I know. <laughs> I know. 
that was more of a, that was more of a dig a coop for not knowing who Nick is. It's the it's Nick it's Nick the monkey that that he spider that's these that yeah the spider monkey the spider monkeys that the FDA killed doing nicotine research. Oh yes, they should have known that. PETA shut down nicotine research on spider monkeys because they killed like eight spider monkeys. Oh my goodness! Bought me a stuffed spider monkey to represent the deceased FDA killed spider monkeys. How it has nothing to do with the states. (laughs) Yes, sir. That's why I got confused. (laughs) So anyway, I'm going to. This is the first discussion that I've had since the beginning of this legislative season uh, about the issues that the premium cigar sector and our product interests as a whole, that we've had an opportunity to discuss them nationally, if you will. Um, So I'm going to kind of walk you across America uh, as to, and this is in no specific order, but I've, I've broken it down by the subject areas that we're primarily confronting and the status of some of this legislation uh, as it exists today. <laughs> and then we'll go into some of the peripheral issues that are outside of what I'm calling the big three. Hold on a second. Um, the big three are tax caps, Cigar bar and lounge bills and flavor bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the big three. And I'll say this a hundred times during this broadcast. Go to cigaraction.org for all of the pressing issues of the day. It is your portal to let your voice be heard. So if I say your state's name in the course of the next several minutes, it means there's something on cigaraction.org for you to do and it's easy to do guys very easy to do you sign up (coughs) excuse me you sign up and you take action pro con we take care of the message all you got to do is put in your your address your uh, name your zip code and we take care of the rest um so with that i'm gonna start with the tax caps uh, there's been a tax cap bill filed in the state of Nebraska. There is a tax cap that has been filed in the Commonwealth of Virginia that has successfully been voted out of the Virginia House of Delegates. There is a new tax cap bill that's been filed in Montana. There's a tax cap bill filed in Indiana. There's a tax cap bill filed in New York and a tax cap bill filed in Wyoming. And Donovan Short, the owner of Casper's Cigar Company, and I gave testimony to the Wyoming tax cap bill. It has subsequently passed the the Wyoming um, House. It awaits action in the Senate and has been a, experienced a great deal of momentum since Representative Gray introduced it during the last summer. And we gave testimony to the Joint Revenue Committee of the House and Senate last summer that led to the creation of that legislation. It's been a textbook effort in Wyoming. Uh, And I could go into the nuances of each of these bills, but to have the local leadership 
of the premium cigar community, the retailers, step up and really play the political game the way it's supposed to be played. Because I tell you, these legislators, they'd much rather hear from the Scott Reginas and uh, in Virginia and the and the Donovan Shorts of Wyoming than they would from a hired gun like Josh or me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are constituents, and they're letting their voices be heard on those bills. And uh, also, we have the prospect of tax cap bills being filed again in New Jersey. And it was just a couple of hours ago that we got a draft of a pending tax cap bill that will be filed in the state of Idaho. Also, there's strong potential for a bill that we consulted on this week, last week in Nevada. So that's an amazing collection of 10 tax cap bills in one year. Now, if we'd been having this discussion 10 or 12 years ago when we were just getting off the ground, it would have been a discussion about 10 or 12 tax increase bills. Mm-hmm. It honestly would have. Yeah. Uh, but when I, I attribute this shift really to the state of the economy, these states are running surpluses. And when you're running surpluses, it takes the pressure off tax in- increases, which takes the pressure off uh, targeting sin taxes, which are always the f- first stop on the tax increase train right. uh, when times are bad. And right now we're only confronting one tax increase, two tax increase bills in the country, and they're both going to die, Mississippi and West Virginia. Um, so I think that's just indicative of both our political times and our economic times. On the cigar bar, cigar lounge front, uh, state of New York's got a pending cigar bar bill that would allow existing cigar shops to have on-site premises uh, alcohol consumption. And a week and a half ago, we gave testimony along with another local retailer uh, for a North Dakota for an exemption to their statewide Clean Air Act to allow cigar bars in the state of North Dakota. Um, the hearing went quite well. And we're awaiting final action on that. And the it, this same bill died by one vote last year. So we're holding out a lot of promise for it this year. And on the local front, on the cigar bar bill, uh, cigar bar front, uh, we have Waco, Texas. And we have Greeley, Colorado, which I believe is a suburb of like Fort Collins. And uh, Waco has uh, adopted their exemption to allow for cigar bars, which is a great example for the rest of Texas. And Greeley, Colorado had their first hearing last week on on that. And I had a great exchange with the mayor offering logistical support for that proposition in the great state of Colorado. On the flavor ban front, which is always where the excitement is these days on the the anti-tobacco front, if you will, Oregon, Washington State, New Mexico, Indiana, New York, and Maryland. Uh, Josh can give an update on what's going on in Maryland, but that was a, one of the latest ones to pop up. Um, so those are the flavor band fronts, and they're all sweeping. They're all very, they're all too gentle for our taste. That could adversely impact premium handmade cigars as well, depending on how liberally you interpret the word characterizing flavor. So that's a pretty interesting snapshot of the big three. Uh, in addition to that, in South Carolina, there's a piece of legislation to pre- preempt local authority uh, in the sale, regulation, taxation of tobacco, leaving it to the state, which we prefer. 
there's a bill in West Virginia that mirrors a bill that we've confronted in the past in Indiana, which would allow em employers to discriminate against you on hiring practices for smoking and tobacco use in general. Um, with that, I have been in contact, and I think this is a great subject for, for tonight to talk about for just a second, mm -hmm. is that uh, now we've got our, our second tobacconist in America in a state legislature. Uh, Patrick Lucas, the owner of Havana Dreaming in Hurricane West Virginia, is a member of the West Virginia House of Delegates. I did not know that. Good job. I've been in communication with Patrick over the last course of the last weeks about this, these two bills in front of his state legislature. And I think that's an exciting, exciting proposition. Um, in addition to that, um, there's a bill that would remove the exemption for premium cigars from state taxation in New Hampshire. Uh, we, that we put that out as an informational piece right now because things are looking rather positive on at least the bill being di uh, killed in at least one chamber or the other. Um, so that's a handsome collection of 22 states in play as we speak, um, including uh, our, our two local cigar bar bills that are, that are evolving. Um, again, you can see a snapshot of all the ones that were calling for petition action to their respective state legislatures at cigaraction.org. I think it's interesting that with the exception of West Virginia and Mississippi, no other tax increases proposed, no other expansion of smoking bans proposed outside of the casino bills, which are predominantly of cigarette interest, and really no new sweeping regulations of any type. Um, I also want to really highlight the role of our state associations in these battles. Uh, Virginia, Texas, New York, uh, they, they are really stepping up to the plate, taking a leadership role, because obviously both in a, in a financial context and a logistical context, PCA can't put lobbyists on the ground in every state capital or even every region. And we've done, you know, we, Josh and I, starting last fall, did a series of training programs for retailers broken down by region. We did a Northeastern, a Southern, a Midwest, and a Western training program for retailers <clears throat> on really how to play the political game. And we've helped with uh, drafting of testimony, stirring up of coalitions, uh, helping retailers work with their, their respective state delegations to their legislature. Uh, and I think all that is starting to prove the, the fruits of our labors. Um, you know, a long time ago in 2006, I told the, uh, the, the guys and gals in Virginia, I said, you're no longer just tobacconists. Politics is officially in your job description if you want to stay in business. And, you know, to to see this resonate over the course of what I consider politically a very short period of time is a, is a monumental step forward in how politically sophisticated this industry has become in less than 20 years, which in, again, in political speak is not a long time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of, that's, that's the positive, positive spin on all of this. These retailers are showing up at their state capitals they're building alliance with their legislators. Legislators, they're, They know how to defend their industry against negative legislation. They know how to advocate for positive legislation. 
Uh, we provide supporting advice, supporting counsel, research, testimony, and that partnership with the states has really, I think, put us in a very positive place where we are today. So with that, I'll I'll shut up and take any questions on all those. Let me start with the with this with the flavored thing first, and then I'll kind of go backwards. Um, so the flavored one obviously is, is the is one that's really popping up. There have been some that passed already. Have we seen one that's passed that we could say it's passed and now it's having a negative impact on on small business? And is that being maybe used as a case study to kind of fight some of these other ones right now? Well, what does it tell you when Massachusetts has introduced a bill to reverse their menthol ban? Yeah, good point. I know it's a menthol question. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, I what you're saying. I haven't read the bill, but I do know that there is a a bill that's been filed to reverse the menthol ban, and it's probably swept up in a larger flavored discussion. <laughs> Excuse me, but but you know there was discussion in the media up there about how. Uh, when they did it, it drove all the business to uh, to New Hampshire. And you know, people are going to get the product. That's the fallacy of these of these fl flavor bans and approach approaches to prohibition as a whole. People are going to find a way to get the product. And and I, that's the one example that jumps out that I've read about in the last couple of weeks. But then that begs the question: Is this is they start seeing that? Then they once again start going back after you know internet sales again i mean that that's something that's obviously a risk when oh it's this is happening people getting the product now now they can try to go back and and, and attack the internet sales well it's bigger than internet sales i mean it's cross-border yeah i mean it's it's like the example of when arkansas raised their otp to 75 percent mississippi tobacco sales just jumped leaps and bounds yep, yep. it's like uh the, the retailers told me in Minnesota when they, before they got a tax cap in Minnesota, they lost their, their cigar sales to every single surrounding yep. state. Uh, when the cap came back, the business came back. I mean, there's examples of that all over the country. Yeah. I mean, New York's a great example. Um, Cause I know people, yeah, they went to Pennsylvania and Delaware when that happened. So that, that's a fair point with that. Bill, do you have anything on the flavors you want to add on that? No, not on the flavors. I just have, <clears throat> I, I just have a particular document that I wanted to bring up. That's uh, yeah. that's in regards to general to, to state. So, mm -hmm. uh, Glenn, I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, it's it's pretty recent publication. I know you follow them. Uh, um, you know, out of necessity, not because you're a fan or anything. But uh, this was uh, done about. 15 days ago, January 13, 2023, uh, Tobacco Free Kids put out a uh, document or instruction, um, dramatically stated, and one might say it's a manifesto. <laughs> uh, if you let me to share my screen, Coop, I can share it, but um, yeah, how, to, how to make it's... But I've seen past editions that are about two inches thick that constitute the... Well, this is, a, this is actually just a one-pager believe it or not, which is actually pretty light. I was, I was expect, frankly, I was expecting more reading, um, but uh, it's how, how to make state uh, cigar tax rates fair and effective, um, which, you know, after this title, there's a three paragraph description about how cigars are yep. harmful and, you know, such like some of the same, you know, some of the same thing, rhetoric that we've been uh, touting against and speaking against for the last two plus decades. Um, 
You have share, by the way. Yep. So this is the document that I'm talking about. Um, let's see. Should be able to see it now. How to make cigar? How to make state cigar tax rates ineffective? So um, a few few of these on here are, are things that we've seen before, right? Match the cig. You talked a lot about uh, caps. So, and one of their one of their fourth bullet point down is eliminate any caps on cigar tax rates. So, um, you know, this is obviously something that they're going to be targeting. Um, but you've stated, you know, just what you were talking about before, uh, how cigar caps are, are very effective for the industry, obviously, and that's obviously why they probably have it on this list. Um, is there is there anything that we can uh, say or see um, again that? would you know thwart uh, their effort to eliminate uh, tax caps well during the 2022 legislative season there were numerous proposals to roll back tax caps there's been a consistent effort to try to roll back the tax cap in oregon there was legislation in iowa and new mexico and Minnesota to try to roll back. And all those efforts were defeated. So the, that's the most recent experience we've had with attempts to roll back. Nobody has successfully rolled them back since we've you know, all been on the job, if you will. Why are caps so, um, I, we, we know why they're, why, what they do for the industry, but why, have we been so successful against fighting against these rollbacks? What what could you? Uh... I think it's been uh, it's been framed as more of a small business argument than a tobacco argument. Okay, I think that's the foundation of a, uh, the political success it's been experienced so far. Um, I recall the the testimony that the retailers did in Michigan, which was first class, justifying what what the cap has meant to them when they were doing the legislation to get rid of the sunset clause. It was absolutely magical. And to hear the exchange between the retailers and the legislators, it was all about the small business argument, the small business framework, how this was a good about main helping main street mom and pop businesses. It wasn't about tobacco. It wasn't about smoke. It wasn't about kids. It was about small business. And I think it's interesting correlating that that a lot of these cigar bar bills that are popping up wanting exemptions are being done in an economic development context, a downtown redevelopment context. They want cigar bars because they know we're a conduit for commerce. And I think that's the important way to frame it. I think that's a lot of the way uh, Josh and the team has phrased, framed these issues at the federal level. It's about business, it's about economics, it's about small business. It's about jobs. It's about paying taxes. It's not about tobacco, smoke, addiction, and dying. We're beyond that. We've made the case that those types of misnomers don't don't uh, relate to the premium cigar community. We we've made the public health case, and now we're making the small business case. And I think all this research, and data, and experience with legislation and the courts has now just given us the perfect package to make the right sell for this, for this industry at every level of government. Since that was something that we've tend to be successful at, I could see why it makes their list here. 
Uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up as well was, um, you know, what you and I are, and the four of us, <clears throat> the four of us may agree as being a little bit ridiculous and intrusive and excessive, but like, for example, raising the cigar tax rate whenever any other tobacco product tax rates in, are increased. I mean, that's going to be thwarted when the with the fact that we've been winning the argument about how all tobacco products are not created equal. Is that, is, is that a fair assessment? I think it's a fair assessment. And tobacco control has been guided by the continuum of risk. And when you have them all equal, it runs counter to that, you know, standard that has been, you know, gen generally accepted. And I think a lot of this stuff, you know, whether it's state or, or, or federal, what's coming out of this organization in particular is um, trying to stay relevant to an extent but also responding to some of the wins that the industry has been able to um, obtain over the past few years. I mean, it's the empire trying to strike back and uh, you know, they, they, their tactics um, are, are, are kind of the, what leads some of the other organizations. And, you know, it, it's kind of uh, there's no middle ground. Um, when it comes to this organization in particular and some of its allies. I mean, we've been in public forums where we present and afterwards they, uh, you know, say that we're known racketeers um, and, and, and things like that. So, you know, I kind of chuckle at some of the stuff that they got a lot of. Pomp. You made me chuckle. It's, uh, you know, shiny, glossy. They, you know, put out all these things, but how much of it do they get? accomplished and you know wh where's really the credibility i mean there's a whole site de dedicated to state lobbyists and uh, evidently the federal one is coming of people in the tobacco industry and it's known racketeers and they did this webinar on it and i watched it and, and it's it, it's preposterous it's like you know racketeering is a crime if i'm convicted of racketeering you can go and look that up so I, you know, I would challenge those folks. So the, you know, unfortunately they're under this umbrella of public health, uh, but you know, there's a not, not a lot of public health in this document. It's a lot of, uh, you know, superfluous policy. I, I found one, I found of these five points, I found the fifth one probably the most interesting. Yeah, I was gonna say that. Because, I never thought, I honestly never thought in my time uh, advocating for this industry, I never thought I would actually agree with anything that anyone from Tobacco Free Kids actually <laughs> said. Um, but yet here I am. So it's it's proof that hell may indeed freeze, freeze over as I'm sitting here in my frozen tundra of Texas as well. Uh, making sure no cigarettes qualify as cigars under state law. Uh, I'm, sh there's some, I'm sure there's some... Uh, um, blurred you know blurred uh things between the lines but i uh i think i'm on board with this one um because we've been talking about how we want it to be different i'm, so that, I'm <laughs> shocked to see that from tobacco completely like they could have easily just left that one off i mean i'm shocked because they've been so you know their position i know we want to be careful here because we don't want to agree with this organization no, I don't. As a whole, That's but but i isn't this what we've been saying I mean, am I taking crazy pills? 
that they are they finally agreeing with us i that's kind of I'll, I'll just go ahead and say that are they finally agreeing with us i'll take the silence as no comment okay fantastic all right it just i'm i'm, I'm blown down. away do we, still, do we still have them there is the question i i'm blown i'm blown away that this is on there i'm absolutely blown away I, I think it speaks to the importance of, of definitions and, you know, yeah. I think that, you know, it is one where there, there is some alignment there where, you know, we want to make sure that cigars are a, a separate category, and, you know, uh, in, in the agreement, you know, there, there's the under underhanded motive that, um, you know, they, they still want the, they want prohibition. I get they it. Want, yeah. yeah. They want, they want, yeah prohibition of all so um you know that's uh, that might be a typo well uh, yeah i mean it's 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 an act it's an actual contradiction of what they've been saying for years and because of what we've been touting at top you know for the longest time yeah the the, so um like while there might be sarcasm in my tone here i i want to applaud you gentlemen for a job well done you finally convinced tobacco-free kids that cigars are not cigarettes and hey i mean it's it's you know from even the thickest of domes we've been able to seep through so that's job well done i'll go ahead and say it so that, that was that was the i wanted to bring this up i thought this was an interesting document uh, considering how short it was also yeah, yeah. uh if you, you would think that it would have been much thicker i was i was i was well entrenched for a, a you know an evening worth of reading and i took care of that in five minutes uh, I've got a copy of their full playbook. It's about two inches thick on all the ways to combat, you know, tobacco policy, tax, regulation. It's much more extensive. And one of the cardinal tenets of it was no cigar exemptions. Yep. They've been very steadfast on that. Yeah. yeah. I love that they contradict themselves. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yep. So I have a few more things I want to cover, um, but I want to do our president's segment first, and then we'll cover the last couple of things I had. Um, and our, this is our presidential trivia segment um, brought to you by United Cigars, uh, featuring La Diana Havana and distributors of Jose Dominguez, Bandolero, Garofalo, and the highly acclaimed Atabay and Byron, and now Alfonso. Buy United, Smoke United, Live United. So, gents, in this segment, uh, Bear is, a, uh, is our historian here. And he is absolute master on presidential trivia. Um, so the idea is to try to stump Bear. We've done 14 of these. Bear has gotten 12 of the 14 right. And I have thrown the kitchen sink at Bear with some of these questions. Okay. So you guys can, can kind of play along for fun to see if you can get the answer. This is a little easier one tonight, I think. Um, well, you say that. All right. So I, I always say that and then I'm wrong. Right. So. This is uh, the question is, you know, we've talked a lot about like presidents and uh, longevity of presidents. Right. Uh, but, you know, there have been presidents who have not have a uh, longevity of lifespan. Uh, ones who have lived to be the oldest president. Like now, Jimmy Carter is the oldest. Living president, Right. But the the youngest, uh, the president who died at the youngest age, uh, who had the shortest life was actually John F. Kennedy. Of course. Uh, but he died in office. OK, he died in office. My question tonight is what president lived the shortest life but did not die in office? And then the bonus question there is what was his age? 
So that eliminates James Garfield too, because he was assassinated. And he, he was, was assassinated. So yeah, he can't be assassinated. He can't die from a virus or something. He had to be. No. He had to die after he left office. Who was the youngest one to die after he left office? Okay. All right. So okay. So okay. Didn't die in office. Okay. So that eliminates. That eliminates Garfield, who was actually the second yeah. youngest. Uh, that eliminates. Shit. Um, I mean, H- William Henry Harrison wasn't young. He was like almost 70. But he died in office. He died in office. He died in office. Um, okay. I think I know this, right? Because it has to do with the, probably the... Sh- it, it, like, he lived only like 100 days after he left office. It, it was pretty... like it, I think it was like 100, 101 days or something like that. Um, and that was, that was, oh God, I fucking missed this. It, that was James, that was James Polk. He died like a hundred days after he left office. Uh, is that your final answer? <sighs> okay. It wasn't and Josh, Lincoln, it, 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 God, it wasn't, no, he was, Lincoln he was died younger. Office. Lincoln died enough. And he, and Lincoln was older than Polk too. Polk was like, I think, I think Polk was younger. It doesn't matter. Lincoln's not not Lincoln's not on the table anyway. Chester Arthur died to like really shortly after. So did Washington, but Washington was old. I'm overthinking this. Yeah, it's got to be James Polk. He was like a hundred days after office. Yeah. It's got to be yeah. James Polk. Josh and Glenn, do you want to throw an answer out or agree with that answer before I kind of reveal? I'm gonna say. Uh... John Quincy Adams. Okay. Uh, he lived a really long time. He actually served Did in Congress, really? too. Did he really? He was old. Yeah, he was like in his 70s. I was, I was thinking so, that it was early because, uh, you know, lifespans yep. early on were not yep. as... A lot of them lived to the pretty... Pretty yeah. old. Like, I mean, John Adams was like... Ni- you know, John Adams was yeah. mentioned earlier. John Adams was like 90 when he died. All right. Ready yeah, to James, yeah, James Polk. We'll go with James Polk. What we real? 100 days. All right. The final answer, and Bear goes to 13 and 2. It is James Polk. Now, do you know the age? That's a bonus question. Okay. So, James Polk at the time was like the youngest person to ever take office. He was like, uh, just like 49. I think, yeah, he was 49 when he took office. So, that means he was like, Uh, God. So he's either 53 or 54. He was younger than Lincoln. Lincoln was 56 when he was assassinated. Yep. Well, Kennedy was, yep. Yeah. Kennedy was, well, Kennedy was like the young, obviously the youngest as we talked about. Garfield was the second, 49. He was either 53 or 54 by the math, right? 49 in the office. Yep. 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 You're, you're, you're right. You're right. And the answer is 53. 53? Okay. Yep. So this is, this is, I can't stump this guy. I mean, I have thrown the kitchen sink at these guys, at him. You have to go on a game show. 
he is just bear. You're gonna have to go on a game show. Yeah, the end. But yeah, he is this bear. Is just that's why we've geared these questions. Uh, but yeah, and it's a question you don't hear. You don't hear this. You don't hear this fact come up a lot actually about in like presidential trivia. You know, obviously the age one factors in with Carter and you know recently with Ford and Reagan. So yeah. Mm. Um. Well, like Clinton, Clinton, Obama, they were they were younger too, but they're alive. I almost answered Teddy Roosevelt with this one because he was young and then he died young. But yeah, the the Polk one is people don't really. That's the one, and you know, Polk obviously is a, uh, you know, Arthur didn't last. Arthur didn't last too long after office either. Yeah, it was like like two or three years after he died too. Like, but he was the first president I think elected under the age of fifty was Polk as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the youngest at the time. Yeah, it was pretty. Yeah, well, well, that's the answer. He got apparently he got sick right before mm-hmm. leaving office is what happened. And then he never recovered and he died 100 days later. Still one of my favorite middle names for a president, Knox. Knox. James yeah. Knox. Polk. Yep, yep. Yep. And he's got, uh, you know, North Carolina Pineville is an area that um, kind of <clears throat> pays homage to him here. But yep, that is uh, that's our presidential trivia segment. Bear, you got that one right this uh, week. All right. I got one for him. Okay. Oh God. <laughs> this is what this is the can of worms you've opened. Here we go. What Virginia County was the home of two United States presidents? Which county? That's what I'm asking you. Which county was home to two United States presidents? Oh, that's a good one. Wow, that's county. a good one. It's gotta be that's gotta be a Virginia one. We should count uh, that one as a trivia. Of course it's a Virginia one. Yeah. Which Virginia county is home to two United States presidents? My my trivia knowledge my county knowledge is of other you states get, get is, is two- really is really low. Um This is this is gonna suck. Um, because I really don't I really don't know that many counties in Virginia. But look, uh, do I get credit for knowing that it's Virginia? <laughs> uh, that part to you. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna miss this one. It's gonna and it's gonna be bad. It, Fairfax, Fairfax County. No, little, no, little south, Westmoreland County. Westmoreland County. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have said. And da 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 da. Would it be Jefferson then, too? I'll almost forgive you for saying that. Madison. How about the next one, James Monroe? Monroe. Okay. Now you should be able to get the other one, Bear. Jefferson was Albemarle County. Yeah. Madison. Now you, should be able, now you should be able to get the other one. <laughs> well, you, you should know you should. The other one, Wilson, 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 Woodrow Wilson's from from, from Virginia. Wilson, you gotta think the other way. Think the mm. think. Think earlier. This one I don't. I know for sure now. Which one? I think I know the other president. Tyler? No. Tyler's... I, I gave you the Monroe and Monroe and Washington were Westmoreland. 
Yeah, I love oh, watching. It's more than, oh, okay. Good one, Glenn. My Damn. county knowledge is Virginia is very, very low. Wilson okay. was born in Virginia by accident. His father was a Presbyterian yep. circuit riding minister. Mm -hmm. Just happened to be. Yep. In... Yeah, he doesn't call Virginia home. Yeah, it was like that was like the yeah, that's Virginia, like the weird one. Very much. He did consider Virginia home. Well, I mean, just spend more time not in Virginia. <laughs> I mean, other than his time in the White House being close proximity wise, but um, that's. That's a good one. That's, That's a good, a good one. one. Completely yeah. stumped. You completely stumped him, Glenn. You, he didn't. <laughs> this is like you completely stumped him. I haven't even been able to stump him that well. <laughs> that was a good one. You completely stumped him. Yeah, I just went class in Fairfax County just because that's where uh, Vernon, Mount Vernon is. Yeah. So. All right. I mean, Virginia. I mean, Virginia, the home of presidents, man. Ohio yeah. and Virginia, they. They know how to make them. Yep. <laughs> but that was a good one, Glenn. We have to we have to get him for some more questions now. Were you, Glenn, were you born in Were you born and raised in Virginia? Absolutely. Wow. There's still time. There's still time to run for president. Still time running. Not not over still yet. Still time. You might win. <laughs> Moving right along to the cigar industry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I just want to mention again that was our United uh, Cigars presidential trivia segment sponsored by United Cigars. All right, let's get back to I have a couple more things I want to hit. First one I hit is uh, before we get to international, um, responsible marketing. You guys have done some very good uh, work last year on that. Um, you definitely have. Uh, I think you you took a position. I think this position was a strong position you took. Um. Where where are we with that? And what I know there was some talk about potential enforcement of that. Um, what does that mean? What what can we look for as far as responsible marketing uh, this year goes? So that's that's what we're uh, going to release post made a decision. Um, there, there's a code of code of conduct for uh, retailers um, that that apply, um, and you know it's something that we. We took six months to work on this. It started out as a very broad document. We whittled it down, made it very specific. Um, and, um, you know, Glenn and I had the follow-up op-ed. You know, we, we encouraged the industry, strongly encouraged the industry as a matter of self-preservation to, you know, think before you release something. Just because it might sell or might be popular um, and, and relatable, doesn't mean that you shouldn't have some restraint on your, your end. Um, that's kind of where, where we're operating now. Uh, we don't want to release anything before the judge's decision, but there, that there is something ready to go on that front. What, what's the reason for waiting for, maybe I'm not understanding why, why yeah. wait for the judge's decision is my question on that. Uh, the big thing there is that um, we, we don't want to make, we don't want to put a target on our own back, uh, to, to be honest with you, um, as the, the judge is considering all of, all of the different factors. Um, you know, it's there's there's issues that are out there. I know that you've highlighted some of them on, on this show and others, other media outlets have hi highlighted them. 
Um, but in large part, you look at the industry as a whole and you have more good actors than bad actors. And yeah. even, even within that, you have some bad examples that some good actors have released over the years. And what was, um, you know, products being released 10 years ago versus now, given regulation, um, you know, the industry has to adapt um, that's why, you know, we saw some stuff that, you know, kind of one after the other, that's why, you know, the letter went out from Scott and, and Greg. And it was one of those things where we had discussions we're like, you know what, no one's going to like this. It's not going to go far enough. It's, uh, going to be too lax or it's going to go too far. And we thought that that between our, the letter and the op-ed that Glenn wrote, we, we felt that it struck a balance and it had, you know, generated some conversations. We know that other folks have um, in the media had, had opined on it. And uh, we think that it's a discussion that the industry needs to have among itself. Um, and, you know, you look at it, um, everybody has a responsibility, whether, and I know that Coop, you've done a good job not reporting on certain products, um, you know, providing tobacco, you know, to, to brands, if they're in, you know, uh, blatant violation, there are, are things that the industry can do amongst itself uh, to ensure that, you know, we're, we're, we're being responsible and it doesn't need to be the FDA or it doesn't need to be a heavy hand of, of, of PCA, but um, you know, Scott Pierce under his leadership and our, our board, we want to raise the bar uh, for for retailers across the board. That's our target audience uh, for this. And, you know, quite simply put, just take pride what's on your shelf. You know, is it something that, um, you know, you feel comfortable, se you know, selling and, and sharing with your customers? And, um, you know, I think that there's going to be ebb and flow whenever we do, uh, you know, re release it. Uh, we're probably not going to get perfect the, the first time and there'll have to be some uh, amendments to it. Uh, but, you know, it's on our, our radar. Uh, we've had hearty debates even amongst uh, the board and staff about this. Um, and, um, you know, our hope is that PCA kind of pushing this. Um, some of the other associations will also take note of it and, and really formalize their, their own. Um, I know that we, we received, but it's, you know, there's two other associations that, you know, really work on, um, you know, these similar issue sets to us, uh, not necessarily the retail focus, but cigar focused in general. And, um, you know, we hope that they'll, they'll follow suit and, uh, you know, release some guidance of their own. Do you do you think, you know, you know, we know we know about some of this type of packaging, the candy, you know, the, the cartoon characters. It's, it's, that's been well documented. But, you know, I go back a few years ago. This is my my read on it. I think the narrative changed a lot, like since 2013, like look at 2023. It's a different world right now. And because and, a lot of people I got a, I got beat up on my position on is pretty bad by, by some folks. And that's, that's fine. 
But I, I think the narrative has changed so much right now. And there's just so much attention on this use thing right now. Yeah. That I think that I applaud PCA for changing with the times on this and, and taking a position on it. I know it's not a popular position. I know some people don't like it, but I think it, I think it was one that did need to be taken. So I do support that. And I know a lot of people disagree with me on that. But but I'll say that I, I think the narrative really changed since then. The last thing that we want to do is to stifle creativity within yep. the industry. That is not our yep. intention. Um but, you know, we are the one and that's why, you know, Glenn and I wrote the op-ed as kind of the follow up. We're yeah. the ones that, you know, spend day in and day out meeting with legislators and regulators. And it, it's a concern, you know, yeah. you, just how uh, Bear, you know, shared his screen of the campaign for tobacco free kids. My worry is that the campaign for tobacco free kids is going to share their screen in an FDA meeting and I'm going to have to defend something um, that's egregious. And there are egregious things out there, um, you know, and, and the hope is that um, there will be some self-restraint that, um, you know, brands and companies and, and retailers, um, you know, if, if people aren't buying it and if it's not on shelves, it's not 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 going to go go very far. Right. What so, do you think? Go ahead. Go ahead, Bear. So I have a. Um, so I just want to make sure I'm understanding <clears throat> what you're characterizing as the PCA's position is that this is a this is a um, an initiative that you're in imploring on and and pushing on retailers to, to retailers to make the responsible decisions. Am I am I correct? We're not. We're not. Again, to your point, we're not stifling creativity on the on the manufacturer and this is more of a, an initiative towards retailers making a more responsible decision. Am I characterizing your words correctly? Yeah. I, I think that we're looking to the other associations that, you know, and, and manufacturers are, are on our board of directors. They have had input in, in this. Um, but there are other associations that also have manufacturers on their boards. I think that, um, you know, if, if there is going to be, a manufacturer code of conduct, um, it's going to have to come from kind of a united front. You know, you know, PCA can't go into the foxhole alone on this one. You know, we are the re we our mission is to promote the business of specialty tobacco retailing. So, you know, we, we have to focus on the retailer. We do these documents and every iteration has touched on um, the actual you know, branding and manufacturing. Um, but my hope is that the leadership of the other organizations, uh, their boards and their staff will, will take note of what we're doing on the retail side and reinforce it um, on the manufacturing side as well. The one thing that I will say that is definitive um, as it relates, and these come from conversations with the executive committee, the board, and Scott, um, we are, we have, you know, the trade show is the culmination, the Super Bowl products that are clear, uh, egregious um, issues that we foresee as being problematic with the FDA. Um, because the FDA is routinely on site, we may politely ask vendors to, you know, put those products away. Okay, so that's my next question. This is the this might be the toughest one that I ask of the night. If that's going to be the position of the, the PCA, why would the PCA allow 
manufacturers that are pretty heavy on this questionable type of marketing, why would they be allowed to have even booth space in the PCA trade show? Yeah, you know, I, I think that those are, um, you know, you have the different departments that are we're working together and, you know, working with Scott to determine, you know, on the policy side, what we're facing, what we're seeing, and we have to communicate that, um, you know, to the, those folks and they have to make those judgment calls. Um, I think a lot, it, it isn't as black or white as we would um, make, make it seem like you have companies out there um, that are doing good things that have done questions things and have done problematic things. Um, you know, we want to be in, as inclusive as possible, again, promoting creativity. Um, but, you know, the, the thing is, if, if there's, we don't have a code of conduct in place right now. Uh, there's a code of conduct with the trade show, and that's where we, we can kind of ask folks, you know, to take these away. If there are rep repeat offenses, I think that's the next step of, you know, what do you actually have to follow? What is the enforcement? And, um, you know, there is no set guidelines that have been released yet. So I, I think that once that's determined, that will translate into all the other facets of the organization. Uh, but again, this is a this is probably the most difficult issue that our our industry will face in the the next few years. It goes to the advertising conversations that you know we talked about earlier in the show, and um, you know we're not going to make everybody happy. So my question is this, I'll take the, uh, this is what I've heard from some of the folks who are engaging in some of these questionable practices is, um, hey, I have a retail store and my, re or I'm selling my product into retailers that do not allow anyone under the age of 21 into the humidor, or they do not allow anyone from the age of 21 to make a purchase or do not allow anyone online to do that. How, how do you respond to that? Because I, 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 I think I know the answer on this, but I think for folks who may not understand that, what, why, is, why is this still dangerous, even though all those things are in place right now to prevent someone from under 21 from buying this stuff? Yeah, I, and I think those are, are completely valid arguments, and I think right. that's why it's an ebb and flow. It's not a, a clear-cut black or white um, you know, decision. I, you know, the looking at... Um, you know, that, that, that standard there, there's, again, there's no, there's nothing that we've released. There's nothing that um, is out there, you know, prohibition by law, by, you know, regulation, by legislation that prohibits that uh, currently, but it's kind of looking at the trade winds of the FDA of the regulators where they're headed. And we don't want to give ammunition to those regulators and to the FDA for them to fire back on, on, on us. Okay. Uh, so it, it's preventative action that, that, that is, yeah. You know, we would rather, you know, ruffle a few feathers, come out with some recommendations, some guidance and um, be the ones that, you know, obviously we're, Pro, a pro cigar organization than to have it come from the FDA where, it, you know, they start going hog wild on stuff. 
yeah. So, well, so that's yeah. okay. Sorry, finish your thought, Coop. Yeah. So my my this is how I've responded back to people on is, is okay. All that's in place, and you're right, Josh. But the problem is, if someone creates a Yogi Bear banana split cigar, right, and and that and and, and someone reviews it on a website or someone puts a poster a picture on social media, now suddenly it's out there, and it's like you said, Josh. Someone can see that and draw the wrong conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. And and that goes back into the you know the flavor discussion, and 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 that that it's a, it's a concern. You know, are yeah. are it's a non flavored cigar going to be categorized in that because yeah. of the, yeah. the, the description. Yeah. So, you know, it's, again, we want to promote creativity. Yep. We're getting a lot of input on this. This isn't something that, you know, even our discussion here, it helps inform. Uh, and I watch your shows. I watch, you know, across the board, I, I read the, um, you know, newsletters and, and things like that, um, as well as I know our board does. And um, we're making steps in that direction, but quite frankly, we're not comfortable at this time, um, and we don't have all of our ducks in a row to make a formative statement. And, oh, and I would rather take the necessary time, wait for uh, the judge's decision, and then um, to to perfect the document. But there is there there's there's a document that does exist. Okay. All right. So, and that's kind of exactly my point though, Josh. So you're talking, you, you mentioned a moment ago that you, you do not look forward to the the moment where, you know, I shared my screen and I showed about their particular campaign. You do not look forward to being in a room where you have to defend some of the positions where they might share their screen and post some of these things. So that's my question though, is, is why open Pandora's box by allowing some of these companies that are habitual offenders or habit or or practice these questionable marketing tactics habitually and have no intention and have verbalized no intention of going back on these types of practices and allowing them to be uh present in 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 the organization's trade show yeah and you know i think a lot of the because we don't have something released um okay. Uh, the, the standard, you know, that, that, that's my response. Once there's something that is adopted by our board, um, that's what we will have to, you know, work towards it. My, my role is collecting feedback. Glenn's role is collecting feedback, putting it together. You know, we're working with somebody that uh, wrote a similar um, self-regulatory policy for the alcohol industry. Um, so we, we've actually, you know, sought outside help for, for this because it is such a difficult itch, issue area. Um, but we will be having a lot of private conversations uh, in the lead up to the, the show and at the show if necessary uh, about this. And I think that that's, that's what we can do uh, right now, if it doesn't pass the smell test um, of, of our board, of our staff, um, you know, we can articulate that to to the, the folks um, and then let them know that, you know, th this is kind of the, the weird grace period. Um, but there are some changes on the horizon because the FDA is very, very closely watching this stuff. You the the biggest argument um, against creating products like this and selling products like this is to look at the vapor industry. Um, mm -hmm. They have been decimated. 
um, largely due to their marketing practices towards their, um, you know, pr production and packaging. And um, we do not want to uh, have that affect the, you know, vast majority of good actors in the premium cigar industry. And we go into offices talking about the historic nature of boxes and the stories and that congressionally that takes away from my ability to do that as well. It's a tough question, Josh. I appreciate yeah. you yeah. answering. Um, I appreciate you answering. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I, I appreciate the stance you guys, or the, uh, yes, what you guys are doing and how you're approaching this too. So, um, like I said, it's, I think tomorrow is the one-year anniversary, by the way, of um, when that email, uh, the initial communication came out. I know it was like the beginning of February. Because, Josh, I remember you and I talked about this at Pro, at Pro Cigar last year a bit. Yep. So, yeah, I think we're right on that one. I think it was February 1st it came out. So, so uh, I mean, I think you guys have done a good job raising awareness for that for sure. And I know there's a lot of polarizing positions on this as well. I agree. Yeah. All right. Last question of the night. Well, last topic. And I know this is a whole thing we could do. And. Um, and I know a lot of this is Ryan's job, but international, a few things. I think the big thing I wanted to ask first is obviously CigarAction.org has recently expanded uh, to now. Now it's covering Canada for the first time, our folks in Canada. Um, I know we have some media folks up there like Mitch and John. We're now, you know, uh, you know, obviously, you know, seeing that. First of all, let me ask the question. Why is the PCA now going beyond the borders of the U.S.? Why, why is the PCA putting effort into that is, is my general question. So, you know, this is something that Scott and I and the board uh, determined, you know, seeing the success. Of, and, and I have to give kudos to Glenn for, for really building the pillars to this, you know, as one person covering 50 states with Ryan and I in support uh, and, and Scott, He's created a model where we can work effectively, um, impact policy um, with given the resource constraints that we have. And um, looking at that and determining, you know, Ryan's career trajectory, um, we think that it makes sense for to have somebody dedicated or at least a, a, a point of contact for the international market. At the trade show last year, you saw a lot of in, international brokers coming. Yep. There's uh, membership growth opportunities internationally, number, number one. Um, but also bad policy spreads. Um, we don't want the New Zealand, you know, generational smoking bans. Yep. Um, and quite frankly, in a lot of areas, you saw no one putting up a fight. It was kind of, all right, you know, let's throw our hands up. This is happening. We have to conform to it. Um, we also have in, in the United States being the largest market for premium cigars, we have to start doing a better job at carrying our weight. Um, and we have the best research, a lot of it funded by the US government to share. Um, we're not coming in there and telling people, you know, this is what you need to do. We're showcasing best practices that have worked and have not worked in the United States, leveraging the tools that we pay for already um, and having somebody kind of coalesce that information and package it together in, in, in Ryan. Um, so it's an investment in the United States. It's a long term investment. 
Um, but we think that we need to start pushing back on things. And um, the reception that we've gotten in, in Canada has been great. We've had uh, hundreds of people, um, if not thousands, taking action um, uh, on, on their warning labels, um, working with a lot of the, the importers and brokers there, as well as retailers. Um, and it's, it's had a positive uh, effect, I would anticipate. Um, a lot of those folks coming to the trade show next year as a result of that or engaging with the association more. So, um, you know, we're pleased with that. We have a lot of work to do, a lot of growth opportunities and a, a lot of challenges. I mean, the U U.S. government um, and, and all of it, uh, you know, we unpacked it even in the course of this show. It's a lot easier than some of the other governments. And there's a lot of fail safes. You know, if we lose, we still can sue. Um, in many countries, you can't do that. So um, it's a learning curve. Again, we're not coming in as, as big brother telling people what to do. Although I think it's funny. And, and I was on my I think it was the second call with the, the Canadian retailers supporting Ryan in this. And uh, they called me the American cowboy because I come in there kind of guns blazing. Uh, you know, you know, this is preposterous. This is crazy. Um, using some some hyperbole that is customary in the United States, but not necessarily <laughs> uh, used in Canada. So, um, you know, hopefully we can get some wins internationally as well. I think the evolution of PCA and you're already starting to see this. Um, and again, building off those, uh, you know, what Glenn has done with the states is locally. So, you know, the the next government affairs uh, person, I, I would love to see a, a local person that, you know, is dedicated because some of these major U.S. cities, you know, if it passes in New York City, chances are New York State's going to adopt it. If it mm -hmm. passes in Dallas, Texas is uh, or, or other counties or so. It spreads like wildfire, and we need to have our defenses on, on all fronts. Yep, and I also want to highlight, and I know Glenn's done a lot of work with this going back to his CRA when he was a CRA, but you guys are also looking out for the uh, the business of these countries, like, you know, the cigar, you know, these companies, you know, there's, there's business entities in, like, Nicaragua and the Dominican Republic who are producing these cigars, and it's, and it's quite important, you know, that those folks remain employed because that could have effects on those countries significantly yeah and and that was something that we uh, told all, all of the cigar producing countries we need better data you know we're we're your largest market um and you know in a regulation legislation that happens in the united states will have a ripple effect um with democrats and a lot of the um progressive wing the immigration and um you know the human rights issues in the Dominican Republic, Nicaragua, and Honduras, um, that messaging resonates with them. So we're, we're trying to have better communication to get more accurate information, um, economic data, employment data, immigration data, uh, things like that, uh, but also highlight uh, the cigar producing, producing countries and have an open dialogue. We did an event at the ambassador's residence last year for the Dominican Republic. We're actually given the uh, ambassador an award tomorrow, along with Dan Muser, the co-chair of the Congressional Cigar Caucus uh, at our townhouse for an event for over 200 people. 
And just today, Scott, Ryan, and I met with the new ambassador for Honduras and are planning an event for uh, late March. And that we, we think that, you know, a, a lot of the stuff from Pro Cigar to, you know, the Nicaraguan Chamber of Tobacco, uh, there, there are um, cross-border uh, discussions to be had that overall po- positively affect the industry. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Bear, anything else we want to hit? You've kept these guys a while, but anything else? Uh, no, I think uh, I think we uh, we covered everything. So. Yeah, you but guys are cer- you guys are certainly busy. So I mean, yes. we I feel like yeah, there was so much we covered tonight. Um, but um, first I want to thank you guys uh, for being on, sharing the time here. I know this is your personal time, but uh, mm-hmm. we do appreciate it for the cause. And uh, like I said, cleansing a hotel room for goodness sake. Thank you so much. Yeah. Not able to smoke and uh, you know, doing this, uh, but you know, but we, we, it's, it's appreciated. You guys have done great work and uh, keep the good work. I know it's not going to get, it's going to, it's probably get more busy for you guys. So there's a lot coming on this year. So we, I think this is a great time to kick the year off and get an update on all this. Well, if if you don't mind, I'd like to throw out as a proposition is that, you know, You, you do a great job of, of covering industry affairs in your newsletter is that um, some some dedicated space to what's going on in the states would be most appreciated absolutely and I know we have a so, so they have bandwidth issues as well but um, it's it's not something we, we should definitely be giving that to so uh, we will definitely and anytime I know I reeled off you know the affairs of 22 states tonight. But anytime you guys want an update on a particular state or have an interest in a particular bill in a state and the like, uh, I'm only a phone call away. You know how to track me down. Yep. I'll, I'll give you the status of any bill in the country. We do appreciate it. I know you guys have been always responsive and we, that's that's not taken for granted either. Put a link to cigaraction.org on the coop. Everything the coop does. There we go. We can do that for you guys. So we will get that done. Yep. We'll get that done for you guys. But we do appreciate it. Um, thank you. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Uh, hopefully I see you guys soon. Um, I know I'll see you, Josh, later this month or in February, which we're about into February in a few minutes. So, uh, Glenn, I hopefully I'll see you down the road soon. Um, you going to be in Great Smoke or anything like that this year? Uh, that's unknown. Not planning on it at, at this juncture. Okay. This. If we keep talking for three more minutes, we can say that this discussion spanned January and February. <laughs> we got 12 more minutes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I've lost track of time. I can't imagine. <laughs> Glenn, Glenn's, Glenn's watch is fast. Exactly. I was like, man, it's already 11. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have to drag this out much longer to span two months. <laughs> that's your call no. we're here <laughs> i'm good with a january broadcast all right, <laughs> all Joey, right. We, thank you so much for your time thank you uh, so much um, invaluable work invaluable effort it's much appreciated um you know the 
the victories that we've had in the last 12 months and 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 even before that you know are a large testament to the body of work that you two gentlemen i know it's a, i know it's a team effort and i know there are a lot of other people that aren't present tonight but it, it's in large part about the effort that the two of you put on so thank you so much for that a big team actually a little team but it, it's a it's a team effort regardless. Small it is, team. It is a team, team effort. Teams. Yeah, it is a team effort. Well, very good, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Glenn, Glenn's trying to Glenn's trying to stretch this out. He wants that yeah. February broadcast. Josh is in a word right now. <laughs> <laughs> got a late night tomorrow. We got the event at the office, so I got to get some sleep. No Sounds problem. We'll, we'll let you guys go. <laughs> Thank you, Thanks, guys. Thank thanks, you. guys. Thank you. All right. Glenn Loop and Josh Barsky of the Premium Cigar Association here on the Primetime Show. Uh, we'll see them down there. Thank you guys again. So um, we have one more segment, a couple more segments we're going to do. So hang in there with us, guys. Um, I know. Everyone wants to hang up. They're like, oh, good show. Great show. Like, thank you. Don't, no, no, go, don't, anywhere. Go, don't, don't go, go to... man. We have a good segment. Don't leave. Don't leave. So we're going to do uh, we're going to do our great things are happening here segment. And then uh, we're going to get into uh, our final segment on luxury cigars. Um, which I don't think we've talked about that topic here. So, uh, but um, want to make I smoked you know, one and I'm smoking another right now. I'm, I'm it's it's I smoked two. I actually lit up a Patron 64 I got from down in Nicaragua. So I'm uh, but I'm taking a little break because uh, I'm a little smoked out right now. So uh, I don't want to lose my voice. But um, want to mention how great things are happening here. Segment sponsored by Tobaccoer USA, makers of iconic brands such as Romeo. And- and Julieta, Monte Cristo, H. Upman, and Aging Room Cigars. Tobacco USA, great things are happening here. So this is our good news segment where we talk about good things happening in the world as opposed to all the bad things happening uh, in the world. Uh, Bear and I each pick a story, and uh, we elaborate on it and uh, try to inform and just spread some positive stuff. Uh, we heard a lot of positive stuff tonight. Um, I think they're doing good work, so we'll continue the theme right now. Um, Bear, do you want to go first? Or you want me to go first? Uh, why don't you go ahead and go first today? All right, you, so, you, you always give me the honors. All right, so we are gonna go to McDonald's, okay? And McDonald's, never mind, I'm taking it over. I'm just gonna go ahead. <laughs> no, go I ahead, like go McDon- ahead. look, go, I believe that soft spot for McDonald's. I'm gonna say this, okay? So, a uh, an Indiana man decided he wanted to order a sausage McMuffin. Okay, at his local McDonald's restaurant, right? What an asshole. Well, I don't like sausage McMuffin anymore because they got rid of the no egg option years ago. So I haven't ordered a sausage McMuffin in decades. Okay, when they got rid of that, uh, that no egg option on the sausage McMuffin, that was it. They were done. Okay, Um, they did keep the biscuit option without the egg. So uh, but the sausage McMuffin, which is uh, they they did get rid of the egg, uh, the the non egg option. and this guy, uh, this guy, um, Josiah Vargas, um, uh, he went to a McDonald's drive-in in Indiana, right? And he posted this video on TikTok of uh, basically he ordered this um, this sausage McMuffin, but um, instead of getting his bag of uh, you know, you get that bag coming out, they hand you the bag uh, coming out of the drive-in. Uh, in his bag was instead of a sausage McMuffin, thousands of dollars in cash. Um, and, uh, what happened is, um, when he looked in there, he realized that there was this cash in there. Um, 
And uh, he actually showed this. There's a video. Um, I'm actually going to see if I can post the video here on this. So so let me show you this. Um, and then I can tell you what happened here and what was the result. So let me see uh, if I could share the TikTok video. Um, and there is he showing this here. It actually, let me see if I can restart this so you can see it from the start. By the way, Sean Miles says the egg isn't real. That has nothing to do with it. It's egg uh, product. It, yeah. it looks like an egg. It smells like an egg. He doesn't yeah. want it. Yeah. So let me see. Why is the TikTok video not? Okay. Here it is. Let's see if it can play. Is it the, yeah. yeah, I was going to say it's the lower half of the screen. There we go. There you go. There you go. Pull it up. I'm going to put the sound off just so it won't be. Uh, but he is going in there. He's got his bag. And in the bag, uh, and apparently this was a real story. And there you can see there's cash in there. Now, why did that happen? It turns out uh, it was his. It was the cash deposits for the, I guess, the morning or whatever, or the day in there. Um, and they, you can see they were in these Ziploc bags, and basically they accidentally gave him the uh, the McDonald's uh, thing in there, and it was like a bag and all these twenty twenty dollar bills in there. Um, and I bet he, that'll he, get you order a sausage McMuffin now. Yeah. So he basically could have. Uh, he could have. Um, he could have, you know, drove off, right? But instead, he goes in there and he asks them. He goes, "Uh, why would you guys do this to me? How how bad uh, do I do, would I want this money? Why'd you put me in this situation?" Uh, and uh, basically, you know, he and basically he was joking around. You laundering money around here, blah blah blah. But in the end, uh, he, he gave the money back. Um, you know, realizing Great. it was the right thing to do there. Good so uh, they actually uh. When he was driving, they actually, and as he was driving away, they called him back in and they gave him two hundred dollars, um, uh, and, and to do that as, as, a, as a reward, wow. uh, as well as free McDonald's for a month, right? Uh, but his his TikTok oh, wait. I've seen was, that documentary. It doesn't end well. Yeah, no, well, was, yeah, that's true. That is true. I've seen that. It's like, but um, the good news is, uh, like I said, uh, you know, he could have. The the good news is TikTok video got two point three million views. So. Uh, but uh, but yeah, but apparently it was a true story because when I looked at this, I'm like wondering, um, did um, did he just uh, like did he just make a video for the heck of it, right? But uh, um, but uh, but apparently he did do this right now. So uh, so yeah, free McDonald's for a month. Now McDonald's hasn't commented on it since then, what like why it happened, but apparently it was confirmed it happened. So I wouldn't um, comment on it. Are you I wouldn't either. Like how did how did like, someone should be fired like for that? So. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that is, uh, you can see all that stuff in, and we'll put the link in there. Uh, if you want to see this guy's, uh, video of him, uh, getting the money and then, uh, you know, going, uh, you know, and he decides to go in and, and do it. Uh, the TikTok video is under the, uh, thing Dookie Doughboy. Does that make sense? But wow. I mean, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, go figure that, um. You know, he got the McDonald's deposits for the uh, for the morning, I guess, in there. Crazy. So, uh, so, uh, so yeah, and, he, and it's all on the on the film there. So, uh, um, well, good for him doing the right thing, man. That's awesome. Well, yeah, he went and returned it. Um, and like I said, I don't think he asked for the two hundred dollars or the free egg McMuffins or the free. Man. But actually, like I said, the video shows him walking in and everything. It's just I didn't play the sound. Let me actually share the part of him walking back in. I, I want to show that part. Um, so he's walking back in to return the money. So it apparently, you know, it really, ha I, I don't think McDonald's would stage anything like this. So, um, 
but yeah, there's sound on there, and you can hear some of the sound of, on on what he talked about in there. Uh, McDonald's boy, I don't. That doesn't happen to me at McDonald's. I gotta say that usually they forget something. You know, like if I order, uh, you know. Oh, I've got a mean streak going of of restaurants and and uh, restaurants fucking up my order and drive-throughs yeah. and take to go stuff. Man, I've got a mean streak going. It's nuts. Oh, it's a uh, my my son uh, Timmy, who's a DoorDash freak. Uh, he they always screw up his order. I mean, it's, it's like so much money too. Like you're paying a premium price to get that stuff delivered. And yeah. It's, oh, he'll call him out, and he'll call him out on it too. Such bullshit, man. It yeah. sucks. So. So yeah, McDonald's uh gives the guy uh the 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 deposits for the day instead of his sausage McMuffin. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna you're gonna eat more eggs now, aren't you? I thought that was a cool story when I said it is that. a it's a cool but, story. Yeah, you can watch the video. Uh, I'm actually gonna put the link. I'll put the link in the chat if people want to see it now. Um, in case they actually want to see it now. Uh, but I'll do that. Um, you know, so you can see it when then you know. But but you you may want to hear Bear's story first. No, so first of all, first and foremost, I want to shout out uh, one of our loyal uh, listeners and huge fans of the show, um, Mr. Sean Miles. Uh, yesterday, uh, made a post on his Facebook that a surgery went okay. Good. Oh, and oh. he's and he's home now and he's resting and and uh, so he's on his road to recovery. So I uh, don't know the details. Uh, don't want to ask him for the details, Sean. But I'm glad. I'm glad the yeah. surgery went well. We are glad the surgery went well. Glad yeah. you're here. Yeah. Glad you're listening and glad you're home. And, yeah, Sean uh, and I, I didn't know, but I was traveling back from Miami yesterday, so I was kind of off the grid yesterday. So uh best wishes to you as well. So, Sean's been a, at uh you know an ardent supporter of both of our shows. Loyal, and so, and, loyal fan. Uh yeah. by the way, uh Sean, I was in um Nicaragua with Enrique Sanchez and we had a long talk on the uh 1502 blue sapphire lancero. Uh, so I told him the whole story about like you put me onto that cigar and it ended up making the top 20 of Cigar Coop a few years ago. Thanks to Sean. So. Good stuff. Yes. So um, my story is pretty cool. Like uh, I just think it's really, really interesting as well as like just, you know, it's also a feel good story at the same time. So. Uh, as always, I find all of my stories on the goodnewsnetwork.org. Uh, you can find all the stories that I read every day. I read, go to this website every day. Uh, and it's a great pick-me-up to learn about stuff that isn't covered uh, by a lot of mass media or mainstream yep. media. And you can find some really cool stories. It's really interesting. It's usually a, it's heartwarming. It's usually uplifting. Um, and like our guest tonight, very, very bipartisan. So it's always something that's always really nice. You know, everything is politically influenced these days, and they really tell stories that either are apolitical or that span the spectrum, which is really nice as well. So, um, so I, I've I've talked I've talked a few times about this um, uh, to, um, both our audiences, Coop, and, and uh, as as you know, uh, I have Mexican and Native American heritage in my in my blood. So uh, I commonly referred to myself as mestizo which is uh is a term uh reserved for uh folks who um descent uh are descendants of of the the spaniards who came over um from spain obviously and you know you know mixed with native population right so uh that's kind of a little bit more about my heritage so uh native american history um 
or in the case of the story tonight, First Nations history, if we're talking about our neighbors to the north in Canada, is is a is a is a topic that I'm pretty passionate about because uh, these are cultures and heritages that are slowly dying um, in this country, which is it's really sad because the populations are dwindling, uh, reservations are less populous than they've ever been, um, advocacy for Native American and First Nations uh, peoples have uh, continue to suffer and have, I mean, there's a long tired history. So there's a lot of negativity surrounding it. So I don't want to bring up too much of the negative because this is really a cool story. Um, So uh, in England of all places, a, um, a store, a vintage warehouse called the glass onion, which is a warehouse in uh, Barnsley, South Yorkshire, uh, bought a clothing bale uh, that came over from America. So, these are, you know, vintage clothing that they obviously sell and, and things like that. And um, and uh, af- they came across a pretty cool garment. Uh, and then after authenticity, it was confirmed uh, of this particular, this was a rare indigenous Canadian jacket believed to be more than 170 years old that turned up at this clothing warehouse in the UK. So it's a brown fringe jacket that arrived at the, at the warehouse. And after the authenticity was confirmed, and it's believed to have come from the 1850s by someone uh, of the the Metis or Cree First Nations in Western Canada. So that's, you know, on the, that's the, uh, you know, British Columbia side of the, of the country. Uh, from Mitch, yeah, from Mitch is from there. Yeah. Yep. So um, this is a really cool, beautiful jacket. Um, and it's, it, it just goes to show you, just like many things that we talk about, take Coop, just, you know, across many different cultures and stuff, they don't make them like they used to. Yeah. This jacket isn't, in, is, is in pristine condition uh and it's beautifully ornate very simplistic in nature but well made uh and uh, after authenticity was confirmed they the 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 glass onion began to think of ways of to reunite the community rather than selling it so they wanted to reunite it with its people and so the jacket was amongst hundreds of others that came in bales but thankfully their team of experts in vintage clothing instantly knew that this one was pretty special they've been uh this was a quote from alice ledbetter the shop's head of marketing uh they've been in the vintage business for over 15 years and uh they've never seen anything like this so uh cons- uh they basically put every they put their their thinking caps on and everything and they did some re- ongoing research and they they put a request out to anyone who has additional means of confirming the origin of the jacket so that they can rec- they can return it to its rightful owners and rightful community in uh, western canada so i think that's i think it's pretty cool that is that is cool i actually saw this one today too and i was wondering uh i was actually debating maybe picking this as the story beforehand um but yeah, look at that. That jacket is pretty cool. Yeah, and there's an article too that's actually linked inside this particular article, which is something that um that, that didn't come up last year. I thought about it, but it, it again, I, I thought it may be too a little politicized. But I'll, I'll go ahead and mention it now. It's a pretty cool story. It's it's dated in June of 2021. So this is from a couple of years back and and we were doing the segment then I remember the story it was really cool. So my father's side of the family is from New England as many people know from Maine. Uh, and a Native American tribe in Maine got back a sacred island that was taken from them 160 years ago and it's it's actually in this article too it's linked in the article that's the uh, uh Passamaquoddy tribe um reacquired 140 acres of their ancestral territory 
uh, thanks to the Nature Conservancy uh, back in 2021. And it, the, the whole story is actually linked in this particular article, yep. so you can check it out. It's pretty cool. Um, it's a huge, uh, huge island off uh, on Big Lake, Maine. Um, and has really historical significance to the Passamaquoddy community. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool that nice. they got it back. Beautiful, beautiful country there. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Nice job. Nice job. So that is uh, our great things are happening here. It's a segment sponsored by Tobacco USA. How about that? Uh, and Mitch, uh, my, Mitch my is correcting is my... Mitch is correcting my pronunciation. It's the the Métis people, by the way, not Métis. Yep. So Cree and Métis people. Yep. Thank you, Mitch. Yeah. My backdrop almost just fell on me, by the way. So um, sorry about that, guys. So, all right. Great callback. Brian Lewis with the callback on the Passamaquoddy tribe, by the way. That's a reference. Uh, that's referenced in the movie Pete's, Pete the Magic Pete the Magic Dragon. Pete and wow, the Magic Dragon. Wow, good job. Good job. Nice job, Brian. Nice pull. Nice pull. Absolutely. Damn. Absolutely. Damn, man. Absolutely. He's on it tonight. Fuck fuck the presidential trivia. That's 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 epic right there. Nice yep. pull. I agree. I agree. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. We're gonna get into our final segment, but I want to mention Michael's tobacco first. With just over a decade of ownership, Michael's Tobacco has become the premier tobacconist for the Dallas Fort Worth metro area and cigar patrons the world over. With two convenient locations in Euless, Texas, just a quick jump at the DFW Airport and Keller, Texas, Michael's Tobacco stands a beacon for the Texas cigar retailers. Michael's was the very first cigar lounge in the state of Texas to add a full bar to its ever-growing accommodations. Proprietor Mike Peacock is a former IPCR board member and has now made Michael's a family affair by having his son Bob join the ownership force. Together, they have formed a true and blessed mainstay for their respected communities. Whether you're celebrating an anniversary, birthday, home loan, or just a desire to relax, Michael's Tobacco will have the perfect star waiting with an exclusive beverage pairing and lively conversation. Visit michaelstobacco.com for more details and a calendar of upcoming events. Michael's Tobacco, not just a cigar shop, but the perfect blend of Texas hospitality and the days of yore. And hopefully Trip can make it there. Days <laughs> of yore, yes, sir. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all right. Uh, luxury cigars. Um, you know... Bear, I'll just give you a little inspiration. Um, I, I think I, you know, I shared. Uh, we uh, we are in possession of a series of cigars from EP Carrillo, the Aura series, yeah. which is their Chinese uh, Zodiac um, series of cigars, and they are a very ultra premium offering. It's a box of twelve cigars. It sells for eight thousand dollars, and um, they are priced at eighty three dollars a cigar. These are not cheap cigars, right? And um, you know, the question that I think comes to mind a lot of times, and I hear this all the time uh, because I, we've, I have reviewed these higher priced cigars on Cigar Coop um, and some of them I have purchased. Right. Um, some of them I've gotten as gratis and some of them I've gotten a discount. But, um, you know, the big question I get is why why these cigars? Right. Like, like why? Why do these cigars? I can't afford these cigars. Right. None of us can afford these cigars, right? Um, so I wanted to just talk a little about, I think, because I, I think they have a, a, an important role in the marketplace, and I think it was a good discussion here. But here's my first question, Bear, to you, is what, how do you define a luxury cigar? Uh, well, that line has certainly gotten blurred over the last 12 months. Yeah. Thank you, inflation. Uh, thank you, supply and demand. Um, I, 
I used to define a premium cigar or excuse me, an, uh, an ultra premium cigar, a ledger cigar, anything over $20. Um, that's where I kind of used to. That's what line. I used to. I used to as well. Uh, that was very simple. It was a price point. Yeah. So I would say anything $20 and above, um, which was a very small at the time was a very small select cigars that were attainable. And there's certain more, certainly ones that are not as attainable, which we'll discuss here in the next few moments, yeah. I'm sure. Um, but like I smoked the, uh, but the, the, there's more pushing towards that, 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 that threshold pretty easily. So for me, ultra premium quasi luxury, you know, for me over the years has always been 15 plus, um, you know, cigars had to be really worth it in my mind. I used to say when I was working retail that, you know, if I was going to smoke a cigar that cost more than $15, it had to be worth every penny. And there's certainly their, their fair share of ones out there. Yep. Uh, Josh selected my first cigar tonight, the Asylum PCA exclusive 2021, the box press, which is a bit, uh, a very, there's three Vitola, so it varies in price, but the one that I smoked was, uh, is uh, retailing here in Texas at $19. So uh, very good, by the way, I enjoyed it. Um the the cigar that I'm smoking now, I would also put in that that luxury echelon. It's it's since gone up with some price increases. When it officially hit the market, it was about seventeen dollars. Now it's about twenty twenty one, but that's the La Florida Minicana Andalusian Bowl that I'm smoking now, which I just love the cigar. It's fantastic. Thanks. Shout out Aaron Nielsen, our partner on the Scar Coalition, gifted this to me. Uh, I don't know what I did to serve to uh, to deserve I, his generosity, oh, but I will take it. Wait, wait, I didn't get one, so, <laughs> so you must have done something good. No, but I'm okay. Aaron, Aaron is more than generous with cigars. So yes. I'm, I'm, I'm rather, I mean, it, I mean, he had probably empty out a box of those, right? So, um, but bear, yeah, it's interesting. Cause I always had the twenty dollar price point as that magic number. I I have now upped it to thirty dollars. Um, and I remember, you know, going back um, a little history that I've seen is the first cigars that I re- my first cigars that I was, ex- was exposed to that were. I was like, wow, were the Gurkha triads. Yeah, those were, those were the first ones. I mean, they were one hundred dollars. They would go up to. I think the Maduro was one hundred dollars for that cigar. And uh, sometimes you like they raffle them off at events. I look at these luxury cigars. They are they should be small batch releases. They they not meant to be mass production releases. Um, but I also the one the one that I remember that I purchased for the first time was the Davidoff Year of the Snake in two thousand the end of two thousand twelve. And actually, I was gifted one by Seth. Um, originally, Seth guys gifted me one, and it was one of the most amazing cigars I ever bought. And I actually went and bought multiple boxes of that cigar <laughs> like uh stace berkland and i actually split a box and i bought multiple box i bought the i mean i spent like more than i ever spent on cigars during that period of time I, I i have not really done that again with that um so but you know why do companies make these cigars bad why why do this like what is your feeling why they do this i think it depends um because I think there's a I think there's a defining characteristic of a luxury cigar. I think there are people who make luxury cigars that are attainable but are special. Uh so for example, our good friend, friend of the show, Michael Herklotz, 
when he created uh, his brand Ferriotego and created the flagship brand Ferriotego, he wanted to make something special. Right. Right. That honored his family and his time in the industry and 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 the name Ferriotego. And so he, the Generoso and the Elegancia were born. And those are luxury cigars, in my opinion. Um, they're attainable. They're available, uh, but they're special. Right. Uh, Davidoff uh, also falls into this category, right, of time beautifully filled. Right. That's right. the mantra. Right. And a lot of their cigars are in that plus 20 category, not just their limited editions, which usually range from about 30 to 50 dollars a piece. Right. Uh, Arturo Fuente, the Opus X collections. Uh, some Opus X's are available at some really nice prices of about 10, 12 bucks. But if you talk about the uh, one of the most expensive cigars that I've bought in recent memory, which was the uh, 20, um, the 20th anniversary of Opus X. Uh, uh, remind me, Coop, it's the Bellicoso. What's the name of the size that we had at Casa Fuente? Uh, God's Whisper. Yeah, God's yeah. Whisper. Yeah. Fucking incredible. Um, Again, special, right? And But attainable, right? So... I think there are companies that that build these luxury products, but they they make them in a way that they're uh, uh, Matt uh, chimed in with God's whisper. Thank you, Matt. Um, that make them attainable and make them approachable, and, and but make no secret about what they are. These are not your everyday smokes. These are not your your daily smokers. Um, this is hey, this is these are occasion cigars, if you will. Yeah. So I actually think Barrett is like two categories of luxury cigars. Right. Um, I think there's the first one, which you described very, very well. And I call that affordable, like the quote Daniel Marshall, who kind of plays in this space too. Affordable luxury. Like, and I know like, you know, look, for, like today, a Ferriotego, uh, Generoso. Um, it's, a, it's, it's in a $20 price point. I'm not saying that's in everyone's range, but it's not a Gurkha triad, right? It's, and it's not certainly the Oro Blanco, which I believe is now closer to $600, right? It's close to 600 now. Yeah. yeah. So that's the second category. There's, there's a second category, which is like these ridiculously high price cigars, which I'll review them. And there's no way I'm going to go Aaron Nielsen buy a box of these. Right. Right. But they'll score well. Like I know, like the Oro Blanco was one of the, was, was one of my top scoring cigars. It was my number two cigar of the decade because it was a great, it, it lived up to everything it did. Um, it was a fantastic cigar, but there's the second cigar. And I think the second category is the one that often gets misunderstood because I think that those cigars, they're going for a very different clientele, right? They're going for the clientele that is buying the Rolex watches, right? Buying yes. Prada handbags, right? Um, right. The statement pieces, yeah. They're buying uh, Ferraris, right? There, it, it, it's a state that I guess statement cigars are really good. Um, and cigars are always been a a luxury item, even like when you get into a five to ten dollar cigar, right? Let's say a five dollar cigar, right? I, you know, I remember having conversations with my dad, and, and you know, he would spend like like a cigarette, like what he spend on a pack of cigarettes, and then you see, I buy a cigar that's more than a pack of cigarettes. And he's like, well, what are you doing? Right. But you know, it's a different, it's a different mindset. So I'm you know, choosing to live a life of planned luxury right. rather right. than of necessity. Yeah. And, and look, you know, there's, there's a lot of great cigars you can get like that are, you know, value price cigars and certainly, but in, in general cigars as a product 
are luxury products. Like, and then yes. I look at it, and, and you know, it's uh, there are things that require some income that you know is you know you shouldn't be buying these cigars if you're not keeping the lights on or food on the table. Is what I'm, I'm saying. These are products that you should not be buying, no matter what the price is. That is what I'm saying. Right. So, like, yeah, to your point, there, there, it, it's a different market. Yeah. It's a different. It's a different uh, clientele. It's it's people who are looking to make a statement. So you talk about like the Bihike now is just an absorbent amount of money. Right. We're talking four hundred and fifty dollars, right? Like, but Gurkha plays in this space quite a bit. The Triad is one example. Then they went the right? Maharati, which was like a ridiculously priced cigar. I'll tell you. I'll, I'll tell you a couple more. The Majesty Reserves is seven hundred and fifty. Yep. The Black Dragon is over eleven hundred. I forgot about Which, the Black Dragon. The Black Dragon is actually one of one of Bill Clinton's favorite cigars, by the way. Yes, insert your joke here. Thank you. Um, and uh, and then also, I mean, they made a million dollar cigar coupe. Gurkha made a million dollar cigar. It's the it was the Royal Courtesan, courtesan, the Royal was Courtesan. That, was that a legitimate cigar or an April Fool's joke? It was a million dollars. Million bucks. But I mean, I don't know how many they sold. I don't know anyone who smoked it. I'm just saying it's out there that the Royal, right. the Gurkha Royal Courtesan was a million dollars. Don't forget. The, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, I, I think the one that will surprise you the most, and again, it there's two that I really want to kind of discuss here in a group. I hope I'm not right. stepping on you too much here, but the one that I think that'll surprise you the most, because this company is known for making affordable cigars, that I enjoy on a regular basis. I always have a box of their Corojo number fives and that's Gran Habano. Gran Habano remember made the number five cigar. That was, you know, the El El Gajante that was $185,000. Well, that was, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. Of course this was, I mean, one could argue if the cigar is even smokable. uh, I mean, I mean, it's massive. I mean, it's, you know, it, I, you know, I think it's over 12 feet long. It weighs, you know, quite a bit. It's, I mean, it's, it's yeah. massive. It's not like some of the other cigars we named, they're actual cigars that you like, that you can hold in your hand. The, 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 the El Cajante from Gran Habano is not one of these cigars. Yeah. So, um, and, and I've asked George about this and he, you know, he, it was more like a challenge, like just to see if he could do it. And, and everything. So I, I mean, it, that's a, that's an entire that's that's a statement piece. That's a conversation piece. That's almost like art, right? Yeah. If you were to buy that. Um, but the other one, uh, you know, longtime friend of both of ours, you know, Akil Capaci, he made the Regis, you know, double Corona. The it was uh, it was that he he actually sold the cigar. Right. Uh, it was like fifty two thousand dollars, but it also came with the trip to Nicaragua. I forgot about that one. That's another good find. Yeah. That's another good find. The um, you know, you know, we can't forget our uh Steve Saka, the unicorn, the hundred dollar hundred dollars. Imagine imagine if he sent those out to the cigar media. Instant consensus wins. Eight consecutive years in the consensus top three, man. He did it again. How about well, that? Then, by the way, uh, yeah, yeah. But imagine if he, I, 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 there is no doubt if he sent out one unicorn to twenty-five media sites that that would win the consensus. 
Like if he's having, Steve, if you're having a slow year, send. I guarantee you that. First of all, the cigar is amazing. Okay, I think it's the best cigar. Cigar sock is blended. So I'm gonna say that straight out. It, it's a, it's a, it's an that made my decade list as well. It, it is the best cigar he did. But that's what I'm saying. You send. I guarantee he wins the consensus with that cigar because because the cigar delivers with that. Um. It's very good. You know, back to the whole thing, Baron, you kind of meant you were touching on this, but this is how I started the conversation off. The EP Carrillo Aura release was was a very, very, I think, significant release for EP Carrillo. They have not played in that space at all. And Ernesto has always been about, I would say, the affordable cigars. Then he came out with the family series, which is a little more, I'd say, more of a premium, uh, more of a super premium line. But not it didn't. I, I don't think it ever went into that luxury space. It, they those cigars I think stayed around the fifteen dollar price point, right? And now now Ernesto is playing in this space for the first time, which I thought was very interesting that he is doing that. And this is what I think, and I've said this. I don't know if I said it on this show, but I believe that Cohiba Habanos when they raised the price of those Cohibas, right? I think it set off a ripple effect in the industry that now there's companies saying, well, I have products that are luxury products. I want to play in that 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 space we talked about. What's the word you just used for statement, right? I want to have a statement cigar. Why, you know, there's no reason why um, why uh, I can't have a statement cigar with that. So, you know, Davidoff's a great example. I think they certainly – you know, and they've they've been strong in this statement space. Right. You know, so now you're seeing the year of the uh, the year of the dragons. You know, excuse me, the year of the rabbits at fifty something dollars. I guarantee you, year of the dragons is seventy five dollars cigar next year. Year of the rabbit was a it was seventy five dollars. Yep. No, year of the rabbit. Oh, there was one. I think that was seventy five. Right. There were two sizes they did. Yeah. So there's one that's those fifty, and then I think the one that was the bigger size was was closer to seventy five. But it was well, the and well the uh, LFT, the NFTs, right? I was just going to get to that. Now, do yeah. you consider? Well, th- see, this—that's one that I have. That's an interesting. That's a whole case study, right? Because I have a theory on this one, right? And we're going to have. By the way, John Carney's on the show next week, and I think we have this discussion with John next week. John's going to do the annual big game show with us next week, right? But. Okay, so Andalusian Bowl was about a $16 cigar where it came out. It wasn't quite at that $20 to $30 range we talked about. I would put it in the same row. Uh, I would put it as a super premium. Okay, but they create this NFT cigar, right? And now that cigar, you know, we, we know what happened to the NFT. And then we saw some retailers attempting to sell that thing at $200. Um, but it, I don't think it worked. I don't think that worked for it uh, as well. But I think that was uh, that whole NFT thing. They were able to take a cigar and make it a statement cigar now. Mm-hmm. Thousand percent. Yeah. So that that brings me to my next point. Okay. How? Um. What? What? When does a cigar luxury cigar work, and when does it not work? Well, again, it depends on your definition of work, right? Did the company achieve what they agreed to say out like Akil Kapachi, for example, he achieved what he wanted, which was to manufacture this really expensive cigar. Someone actually bought it. Someone actually smoked it and then went on this Nicaraguan excursion with him. So and the thing it was, it was it was, it was a great story because it was like a kid who just sold his business right. for a fucking millions of dollars, man. So, I mean, it was a pretty cool story. 
Um, so I think, you know, I think for him, I think that was a success, right? Um, Gurkha has had some success. The triads, the Black Dragons, again, which are a favorite of former President Bill Clinton, right? Yeah. So, I mean, again, insert your joke here. I don't think there's a lot of failures with them. That's what I'm saying. I don't think there's a lot of failures because the production is so limited. In a lot again, of yeah. Well, the, yeah, the production's limited, so I yeah. don't think there's a. I I think. I really don't think there have been as many foul ups as there have been successes with this in this particular range, because yeah. again, I think, I don't think any company has made the true mistake of trying to hide the fact that they're selling something at an outrageous price. Like they're, they're, I think they're pretty honest and pretty candid with it. Um, Davidoff Davidoff has never been an apologist for their prices. They understand they they understand their market. They understand yeah. what they're doing. Um, so I think they have a. I think they're. I think they're phenomenally successful at what they do. Mirafell uh, playing right into it. like Mirafell has come out and mm-hmm. said we're uber luxury. Like they're they're yeah. they're, they're yeah. uber luxury and um you know they're by the way when you see that that Mirafell Richard cigar in person it's amazing looking bear. It, the package I got to see it in person. It's amazing that packaging. It, it, the box is enormous. That ashtray, the pictures that that they sent out didn't do justice when I saw it in person. Oh, I I mean you knew when Jeremiah was going to put something together that they were going to do something pretty he, special. But I think Jeremiah saw an opportunity. Again, I think he saw an opportunity here to where there's a, there's a place for this market. And you can make, and I think, I think you, you, you have, I think there's two things you need to make it work. You need great tobacco and you need great packaging. You can't have one or the other. Yeah. I, think, I, spoke, I, think, I, I spoke to the worker tired. It's a very good cigar. And I've smoked to his majesty's reserve. It's a very good cigar, but I wouldn't go buy them is what I'm saying. I could afford most of these. So, I mean, I'd have to be in a pretty, advantageous position to be able to smoke it. I mean, I still haven't smoked an Oro Blanco yet. I've smoked the Royal. I've, sex, I've smoked several of those and Xeno Platinums as well, which play in that spec. Um, I've bought one. The those Xeno. Yeah. Remember those ones? Those came in. Sapphires. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. Those blue and gold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, they... Again, I don't know if they sold off, the, uh, but I think they sold. I think Davidoff sold out the allotments, and I think the retailers were able to move them. Yeah, I sir, I sold quite a few of them. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I know I know retail got the bot and it went. I mean, the other the other brand that's coming to mind a lot, and they're getting a lot of attention is El Septimo right now. Um. So, but I I can't make a determination yet if they're a success or failure. I think they're they're newer to the market. But I, I th- say they're not I think, mass producing this stuff either. Those yeah, they're not mass producing it. I still have more questions and answers around El Septimo. Yeah, uh, I. The brand I, doesn't have a strong story. That's why. Yeah, I. I well, and like Sans Peril did the same thing too. Like yeah, they tried, they tried to play in the space without any kind of backstory or anything. Yeah, I mean, I know it was Hochi's tobacco and stuff, but yeah, I mean, even that, I agree with you on that. I don't think it was a six. I mean, that's one where, I that's one that I don't know worked. 
I'm going to be honest. I don't know if it worked. I mean, I think they sold it, but obviously it's not a brand that's gotten track. It hasn't gotten traction as a brand. No. No, not at all. Yeah, that that one. Um, um I I mean, I smoked a couple of their cigars. I thought they were pretty good. Um, yeah. I I've smoked a few a uh, few El Septimos. Um, the, I haven't uh, smoked the higher price El Septimos, so I can't make a. I've smoked some of the more affordable luxury ones, and they haven't really wowed me. You know, in the affordable luxury space. I think it was called the Orange Crush. I had a couple of those. Those are good. I haven't had that one. The, uh, you know, and I think, uh, but I think you got to have good tobacco. Um, the, but there wasn't, you know, the triads were interesting because when the triads were released, there wasn't a lot of story around the tobacco much. It was, they, they mm-hmm. really pushed the packaging on that one. They had a humidor and stuff like that. And that's how they were pushing it. Orange Bomba. Thank you, Matt. Orange Bomba was what I'd smoked. Um, had a couple Steve, of those. They're yeah. Pretty good. Steve, Steve Sacco, when he came out with Unicorn, he pushed the tobacco on that thing a lot. Well, yeah. You know, he dropped the ball on one thing with that thing. You know what it was? The ribbon. The ribbon. The ribbon was horrible, Steve. I'm sorry. The cigar was amazing. The coffin was beautiful. The ribbon sucked. <laughs> that was the one that he needed. You needed a band. Well, you're advocating for him to send those to media to media people for. Uh... For a push for next year's oh, uh, consensus, but well, you know, I know uh, you know what he can do. He can send his chubby out. I know what he can do with this. I know. I know what he can do with this chubby. He wants. To, he doesn't know what he can do. What he could do with his chubby. So yeah. I, yeah. He, that's what he can do with his chubby. Yeah. I send yeah. it out. Yeah. I'll 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 smoke a socket chubby. Yeah. So I have an interest. There's an interesting release <laughs> that's going to be coming. So, oh, I'm trying to move him away from this. I just cannot do that. <laughs> By the way, if you haven't seen Bear's interview um, with Steve Saka from the 2022 Premium Cigar Association trade show, uh, it is one for the ages, is what I'm just going to tell you. 27-minute mark. Hit it up, baby. Yeah. Watch the 20, whole thing. It's good stuff, but if you want to skip stuff, ahead. But but <laughs> but here's the thing. Saka just walked right into all that. <laughs> he did. He's talking about, like, you know, chubbies and being on the floor. and. Yes. It's, I'm, it's great. It's great. It's cla- it's 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 it is it is pristine content. It it's is wonderful. Uh, yeah, it's you know it's it's chubbies. Oh, and he's like, why do I why do you keep saying that? I'm like, we you keep bringing it up, Steve. I don't know what to say, but yeah, I have yeah, I'm I'm, I'm done with that. Uh, but it's no, but I think uh, to your point though, I think there there's. I think there are people who, again, for an overwhelming majority of these companies, I don't, I think they're even, even for like El Septimo, which we have, like I said, I have more questions than answers to. They're also not hiding what they're trying to be either. No, they're not. They're not. You know? um, these is Mirafel and these is Davidoff. I, I don't think most of these, I mean, I don't think Ernesto's even doing that right now. Right. But see, but that's the thing. Like, I think, like, I have left, like, if, 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 if Ernesto Perez Carrillo Jr. wants to play in this space, but fucking power, more power to him. Like I'm, I'm, I'll sign me up for that. What, sign did, me up for that. Like I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Like we're, but we're, we're gonna do come, a run. Yeah. But if you come to the, if you come to the table like El Septimo has, where there's, there's less of a story and less pedigree and or non-existent in some cases, like and and they're they're the example that we're using. But like Sans Frio is another one too. Like 
like it's difficult to say okay i can accept that like i can get behind that like that's that's a hard like i know i know jay for example brought that cigar in and uh sans Peru and, and it did really well with it i know he's a fan of it too but it's been i mean you had to like hand sell the crap out of that man like that's not something that like alan oh alan from caribbean have that on the shelf to me. yeah alan from yeah. caribbean sold me but guess what <laughs> He, he really, I bought one because I trusted Alan on that. It was good that, and it was a good cigar. But but otherwise, I wouldn't have bought it. The Sans Perel. right? No one's going in there and seeing that cigar and saying, "Yeah, I'll pay fifty bucks for that." Yeah, but they see a Davidoff limited edition, whatnot, whatnot. And it's fifty dollars. It's like, okay, sign me up. Yep. Ernesto wants to come play in the space. Okay, I'm in. Mirafel, same thing, right? Fuente does some kind of Opus X 2023. You know, Carlito names it something, but it puts the Opus X mark on it and it has that Opus X wrapper on it. You, did you, people will pay the 70 bucks, 80 bucks, a hundred dollars, 200. I mean, he could do anything he wants with that. But because, Carlito, yeah, with Opus, with the Opus 25, there's a humidor that you get with that thing. True. Like, and again, yeah, it's a, it's a whole experience. It's a whole statement. It's a whole ba- the stories there. Everything lines up. Everything checks out with those, you right? Know, I have, yeah. And that's those are those are the people that are successful with it. Like, you know. And again, it's I think that I think the best the best thing that you can do if you're going to play in the space, no matter if you're tried and true, like some of these people that we we're talking about, or completely on you know completely untested, like some of these other ones we've mentioned. It's just being honest about it. Hey, this is what we are. We're 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 a luxury cigar brand. No, we're not the cheapest in the humidor. Here's the price. It is what it is, and here's the reason it is. And that's and we're standing by it. If you do that, then I think you'll be successful to a, on a small or a larger scale, depending on what you want to do with it. Yeah, you know what was interesting is um, their EP Carrillo, um, and I know I sound like I'm, I'm we are going to be doing a roundtable in the spring on it. Because basically, uh, we each got to smoke a different blend. But um, Ben and I don't want Ben and uh, Aaron smoking these things in the cold, right? So that's why we're going to hold off on it. But what's interesting about the Aura series is EP Carrillo's kind of turned that distribution over to uh, a company called Cigar Specialist International based in Singapore. And they're kind of letting them kind of do the sell of that. And what I'll tell you is um, in that package, you, you guys don't have the full package. There's a blend book, and in that blend book, you know, Ernesto talks about there's different blends they talk about, and you know, Ernesto uses some different tobaccos that he normally doesn't use in a lot of cases. Uh, has some really nice packaging, so I kind of really got into that that whole release with him. He, I think he did it right, and I think, you know, rather than have his sales team kind of try to move that cigar, they've got another distributor to kind of handle that, and. It makes a lot of sense based in Singapore. There's a lot of luxury. We just talked about a lot of luxury products in the Asian market. You know, Davidoff, you're the, the Davidoff Zodiac series started in the Asian market, too. Yes, uh, sure. The, the, the Year of the Dragon was originally released for the Asian market. It just didn't really, it didn't have some spectacular packaging either. But yeah, so I mean, that's a market I think that certainly is targeted for that. So it makes a lot of, you know, Drew State releases their uh, Chinese Zodiac cigars to that market, too. You know, interesting thing. So I had a conversation with uh, Jack Hire down, and this is this this is why that's why I wanted to talk about this too. Drew Estate many, doesn't have that cigar, really. How many Tonyos was he in at that point? 
he was he uh it just it's like it's like an iv you just hook up to him right <laughs> but but no he was he was fine your state doesn't have that statement cigar that's true they don't have that if you think about it, drew estate does not have that um we've seen general have those with some of the cohibas uh altidus has released some of those romeo humidors and monte cristos so they've had it uh davidoff certainly has it, but the big four drew estate has not played in that space yet and I just wonder, you know, I didn't get the question answered, um, but I just wonder if that's the next space. It's we'll coming, see. man. It's, it's got to be coming. It's got to be coming where they're going to do it. And why Why wouldn't they do it? Like, there's no reason not to do it. They they have the tobacco. They Their packaging is incredible. It's got to happen at some point. And that was like, you know, but I, you know, when they're going to release the $50 Drew Estate, it's got to happen. I think they're teeing us up, man. The Adobe was like six bucks. I kind of, the, the M81 is yeah. a pretty affordable cigar, you know, 11, yeah. 12 bucks, yeah. you know, yep. Yep. they're teeing us up, man. They're teeing us up and they're going to come out with the Drew Estate, you know, you know, year of the rat on steroids, you know, yeah. limited edition $50 yeah. cigar, man. It's going to be, it's going to be a hit too. Again, but again, that's to my point earlier, Coop, that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. If Drew Estate wants to get into this this sphere, who's going to question it? They're they're not going to question it. It's going to be like right? you're going to see people. You're going to see people go after it. Like I, mean, I have I'm, the I have the I have the the foundation cigar of Senator right here. Right. That's now we were surprised when this cigar came out. We're like, oh, thirty bucks. Oh my gosh. I haven't smoked it yet, but. But when you but, see the packaging on it, it's in person. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, he did an incredible job with it. But the 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 point is that I'm trying to make is that like again, yeah, we I think we were all sticker shocked with that just because, you know, Nielsen wasn't Nielsen wasn't, but well, no, I'm just saying like we were sticker shocked in the sense of like the High Clare Castle line is more is one of his more it it is his upper echelon I would say it's his premium yeah it, it's. it's, it's it, so it yeah. made it again. It makes sense, and when you get over that initial sticker shock, it's like, okay, all right. So he has this. He has this. You know, I say high I say high has a super premium. I don't think it's it was that line was in the luxury space until Senator came out. I think Senator crossed it into that place. But I would say the high castles are in that that fifteen fifteen dollar that that twelve to eighteen dollar range. They've been. So I don't think they'll quite. I think this put them into that space. Sure. Yeah. I think it definitely. You know, obviously Fuentes. Rocky's played in this space, and Rock Rocky actually has released some of these, some of his stuff in very special humidors and stuff like that too. And I would say if you have a very a big packaging offering like that's that even though if you don't have the the fifty dollar cigar in there, if you're if you're charging a thousand dollars for a humidor and putting some special cigars, I would say that's a luxury cigar. Because you're, you're you're buying the unit there, yeah, thousand percent. Yeah, um, what's the best luxury cigar you had? Like, so, and I'm gonna say you have to qualify. It has to be over thirty dollars. Oh, that's a good one, Coop. Um, over thirty. Over thirty. Yeah, I'm gonna make it. I want to make sure it's a real. Oh, luxury. this one's close. I the Davidoff Florida selection was. Problems that that's what, just right I, what, under thirty. That was right 29, under 30. 29. Yeah, it was twenty nine bucks. Uh, yeah. I love that. God, I love that cigar. Made yeah, it was on my oh, list a few years ago. Shit, yeah. that was good. Uh, yeah, or, or Blanco's mine, so it's easy. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is a doubt. It's probably the Royal Robusta, man. Like that fucking cigar is incredible. 
And, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jesus, man. That's a great cigar. I like the Robusto better than the Royal Solomonis. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. And your your gear to snake uh was actually the I it, in my decade cigars, number one was the La Aurora Cien Años Maduro, but then I had two luxury cigars after that. Number two was the Oro Blanco, number three was your the snake. So I mean yeah. those were two Davidoffs came in at that. And they they are I mean, I am really Davidoff did a re-release of Year of the Snake, but they didn't do the packaging like the same. I didn't like the packaging they did the second time through. So I'm hoping I enjoyed your, I, the year of the horse is really good. Really good cigar. That made my, that was also an, I would say year of the horse is my second or third favorite of the series. And it's a 60 bear. I know. Oh, um, I know you weren't a fan of it. I know a lot of people weren't, we're kind of torn on it, but the year, the, the, the rooster was really good too. for me. I, I wasn't a fan that. of that. Um, The dog was, the dog wasn't as bad. Like is a lot. Of, a lot of people didn't like that one too. I've like I've enjoyed most of them uh, a lot. Um, the, I think they've done a really good job with the Zodiac series. I think they're like overall. Oh, they like have. A, they have, they overall, have I mean, it's a great project. Some I haven't liked. One of now I'll give you the worst. The worst one I've had. Um, and. Uh, this was a $40 cigar. I'll put a picture up of it. And I, I shouldn't do this, but I want people to see what the cigar they may remember this cigar. Um, it was a Cohiba luxury selection. It came in that lucite coffin. Awful. Mm. It was just awful. $40. I, I bought I bought two of them and I regretted it. The second Spectre was fucking good. Oh, that made my list. That made my the list. The second Spectre was fucking good. Holy shit, that was good. Yeah. And the problem I have with some of these is like. Like when you get into cigar of the year, I gotta have multiples of these, and I've spent like like Spectres. I spent some money on those, and uh, yeah. I ain't gonna lie. I, I made a I, I cut I cut a discount with a retailer, um, to do that. So um, it, it does get expensive. That's yeah. why like this year, if the if the auras smoke well, they're not eligible for Cigar Coop Cigar of the Year. I'm just telling everyone, I'm not buying another thousand dollar box of those. So um, yes. they're not. Uh- they're not gonna make it. Samplers aren't making it anymore. So Matt Matt nailed it, by the way. Uh my least favorite Zodiac was the year of the tiger. Mine too. Mine yeah, too. Yeah, that was my least favorite. That was I my did, least favorite. You know, here's the thing about Year of the Tiger. Really cool concept. I really liked what they did. Like get I thought a better, it was cool. get a better blend. If they could do that on a better blend, that's yeah. something like, like do a tiger. Like my idea is that if you launch like a tiger series and and have do that concept. In a small batch release, I think just get a better blend. Some people love that blend. I didn't get it. Yeah, it did hit my palate. Yeah. You know, Chad made a comment. He says, at some point, it's just a money grab. He's right. No, there's no question. Oh, fucking thousand percent. Absolutely. The margins are incredible that you could do on this, right? And why not? Yeah, it is. There's no doubt it is. And that's why I think going back to the question we asked earlier, that's why companies are doing it. I mean, Mm But, you know, and most of them, I think, put a lot of effort into it, you know, so um, but you as the consumer have to be the the ultimate like arbiter on that. It's like like if you're the dragons came back out to you're you're the snakes come back out tomorrow. I'm buying those. Right. They'll probably be eighty dollars, but I'll probably buy some of them. Right. Um, You know, some of these some of these Opus X, you know, the Opus X 20. I remember we were at Casa Fuente. We paid a premium for those. That we we dropped some coin that day at Casa Fuente for those for those God's whispers. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, it was fifty bucks, but I mean, again, it was we, we were like, celebrating, and and uh, you know, yeah. it was it was the first time we were all back together again, and yeah, we we're at Casa Fuente, and I mean, like shit, man, like let's 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 do it, man. We did it, we did it, man, we did it on that. Uh, and like I said, I dropped some coin on those specters, and they were really good. The spec, the second one. You know who really they they kind of they kind of did this before it was a thing too, if you think about it. Same company that manufactured Ashton, the East, the ES, the ESGs, the Estate Sungrams. If you if you're Ashton, why haven't you come out with an ES, the new ESG in a while? It's, yeah. yeah, there's a yeah. We can talk about my questions about Ashton, but later I think another day. But they they were like they I mean when they were they were one of the first ones when you think about it, and it was good. They were good. Yeah, ESGs were fucking good. They were uh, they were great. They, I I remember I always looked forward to the new ESGs when they came out. Well, I mean, it's it's obviously like a money grab, like like the Gurkha Grand Cardison is like fucking a million dollars. Like, uh, yeah, all you have to do is sell one. You made a million dollars. I mean, shit, the fucking margin on that's probably I don't know, you know, four hundred thousand percent. So <laughs> it's just more than that. It's nuts. A million dollars. Get the fuck out of here. I don't care who's I don't care who's making it, man. That's that's just nuts. But like I think, but I think what like George was doing with this hundred eighty five thousand dollars cigar again. That's like I don't think he made that. Yeah, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but the impression that I got, I don't think he made it to to be smoked. I think it was like, hey, this is a. I wanted to make sure I wanted to do it. He did it, and it's like this is a piece of art, you know. How about how about the Daniel Marshall Colito Fuente cigar? That was an amazing cigar, but you had to spend twelve hundred dollars to get the whole unit. You couldn't just be, they weren't individually for sale. I mean, we got some from Daniel Marshall because he did the show with us. Um, right. But yeah. Well, well, also, I mean, if we're talking about Fuente, the Fuente Padron cigar, right? We don't, we still don't know what the price point is on that thing. That's going to be, that's going to be up there, man. I'm, pre- oh, I'm predicting it comes out this year. I have a bet with Abe on that, by the way. But how much? A signed five dollar bill bet, but the point is, when I beat Abe, not the bet. How much is the cigar, Coop? Jesus, we don't, we don't know, we don't know. No, I'm asking, what's your guess? My guess, hundred dollars, hundred bucks, hundred bucks minimum. I'll I take the over. I'll take the over. All right, it's a good over. It's a good over. I'll take the over on it. This, there's no way that cigar is two digits in, for a unit. No, no way. No way. I, I, you know what? I agree. Take the over on that. I'm taking the over on that as well. I think a good line's 150, but I'll take the over on 100. Easy. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's an easy one. Yeah. A lot, everyone's taking the over on. You know. Okay. So someone mentioned the um, the Tatawai. I was going to bring that one up right before you started going down the chubby road. Actually, so I don't know what Abe does with the pricing of that thing, right? Because again, I don't think the LFD NFT cigars have moved like. At the retail level, like they expected, but I think Abe's going to sell a package. Well, I don't think they were. I don't think they were expecting to move them. I don't think that's what it is. They were going to order X number a month. I mean, I I think I I go back. There are these retailers moving those cigars right now. I think some aren't. Some aren't. They bought. They all bought the minimum amount, and they haven't moved because I think they. I think they. That's another story entirely. I'm not saying the project failed because certainly LaFleur did everything they did there and they're supporting their region. But, but um, Abe's going to have to, I think Abe's going to sell that. 
Because the Tatuai Anarchy is a $10 cigar, right? He's going to probably sell that experience. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of things. You're not, you're not going to buy those cigars. Whoever buys those NFTs are going to get, I'm sure, something spectacular with that. So, the you know, but I just don't see people. I Look, I have a lot of questions on that because I don't, I think everyone overvalues the single store market. I do. I don't think yeah. the single store market. The single store market. I see five dollars cigars. I can't even move because it's overvalued. So this has got a lot of. This has generated a ton of comments. This discussion tonight. I didn't expect that. Well, again, I think it's it's a it's a topic that it's very relatable. Yeah. Because Matt's saying not everyone starts selling it. That's an excuse, Matt. I'm sorry. They, they, this retailers that were, st- I had retailers trying to sell it to me. I'm just telling you that. Like, like, it's like some have, some haven't. I understand that some haven't. But, um, but man, it's like, I don't know. I'd be, I, I would have just had a, I don't know. That's, I think we got to see what the end result is of that. And I'm not, like I said, I think LFD, <laughs> this is not a reflection on that. This was actually a big discussion. With some of us on when we did company of the year, actually this year, because I know some people were making the case for LFD this year. Like I know Loomis made the case for LFD for company of the year this year over that. So and it certainly he had some valid things on that because they, they change. If this NFT takes off, they've changed the industry. Right. So it's a big story. Yeah. yeah so. No, I, I, I can agree with that point. Yeah. I think there's some I think there's yeah. Yeah. legitimacy to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm sure Matt and I will be discussing this on Saturday for sure. Um, Spit pots. Yeah, but Stace saying cost of amount of crystal you have four. I don't think it was over twenty dollars, Stace, and I certainly not over thirty, right? But that that space we're talking about with Drew Estate. Um, yeah, I mean it's interesting, you know, and you know now with cigar prices going up, I mean it's you know. I got several cigars I bought. I, I just, you know what else I just bought? Okay, you know who else just did it this year? My father. Yeah? Did you? Uh, did you I got my Florida Centias. I, I, uh, I picked them up locally, yeah. Yeah, my, I'm I'm debating. I really want to. I just, it's a lot of money, Coop. <laughs> I would say you'll buy one. I know, I will. Well, we got, I, or we wait for, you know, you wait for Nielsen to buy it. Nielsen's and, not giving me one, and I'm not going to pander. No, for but That's, if he likes it, then you go and say, then you go buy one, right? Yeah, they did. So they, but they've done one already. Garcia and Garcia. Uh, yeah, those were over thirty dollars cigars. Sure. Um, and I've seen some retailers move them, and I've seen other retailers have trouble moving them. So, it, I think it's that I think that's a retail sell. Okay. I mean, but I think they did a good job. <clears throat> You know, again, they're using the Peladoro tobacco. They can tell a tobacco story, and there's some amazing packaging on these cigars. So, but yeah, forty. Uh, my father, I oh, my father did the the one cigar that one half wheel last year. So they did even more expensive. Remember that one that came in the humidor? The humidor, like, yeah. They gave it number one cigar of the year, and Charlie told the story. Basically, he he managed to get his hands on singles. That's how they got the like a retailer was accidentally selling the singles when they weren't supposed to, and he got them. So that's how he ended up getting that, and that's how they ended up winning cigar. Otherwise, they wouldn't. Have, it probably wouldn't have made their list. All right. Anything else we want to hit before we wrap up here, or we want to hit no, more luxuries? Good, no, good topic. Yep, that was a good topic. Thanks for our audience on that too. 
Um, all right. A lot of programming notes because now we're getting back into the swing of things on Coop. So let me mention a few things. Um, full slate of shows. Coming, uh, we got spare notes with Matt on Saturday. Uh, KMA on Saturday. But spare I'm pots. Getting, yeah, spare notes. Next week on Coop, Monday. So we got two big game shows coming up. Um, Monday is the the cigar, the primetime jukebox, uh, big game show. Uh, we're highlighting the halftime show, and Dave Burke is absolutely. Um, how can I put it? He's he's more interested in the halftime show than the game, because Rihanna's, sounds, Rihanna's sounds like doing, Burke. <laughs> Rihanna's doing the halftime show, so this is going to be a Rihanna show. Uh, Dave's going to be driving a lot of this show. Uh, he's done a lot of good prep for the show. Uh, so we, we have a lot. We're going to be covering this. The acts before the show, the songs being performed. Uh, Dave really, I, I, Dave laid it all out. He did a great job. So uh, we'll be doing that Monday. Tuesday, Carney, we always do the pregame with Carney. Uh, that's been a tradition since going back to Stogie Geeks. So Carney will be on Tuesday, special edition 136 next week. And then we have two regular primetime shows coming up. We have some big primetime shows coming up. Uh, this Thursday, uh, Luis and Alec Cuevas come on. And I'll announce this today. Pete Johnson will be on on a uh, on the ninth. So two fifty five will be on with the Cuevases. Two fifty six will be Pete Johnson. By the way, I, when we invited Pete Johnson, Aaron did not tell me he gave Tatawai cigar of the year. So um, that was not we. I just said let me reach out to Pete. We haven't had Pete, you know, on 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 the on the Thursday show for a long time. So. Um, and Pete said, yeah, but he, we, we did not know Aaron was giving him cigar of the year on development. Also cigar coop, uh, person of the year. Uh, yep. The primetime award for person of the year that we did know that we did know. Um, so we did know that when we asked him. So, uh, and Pete won a very competitive, you know, the awards were very competitive in some categories this year. Uh, but I'll recap them. Tabit X won small and medium factory of the year. That's Casada factory. That was a close vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, Large factory went to my father. That was a landslide. I think uh, they got four first place votes. Um, small medium company year. Another close one went to Espinosa. That was extremely close. That one. See, I think that was like the most clear cut winner. Well, in my was, opinion, that was well. Okay, but... I'll go back to that. Let me get back to that one because I want to talk about that one for a second. Large company year was Drew State. That was a moderate win, I would say. And then another tight one was person of the year and Pete Johnson won that. Yeah. But okay. So I didn't vote for Espinosa for, I didn't put a first place vote in for Espinosa for, for small, medium company of the year. Okay. I uh, took it as knuckle sandwich was the company. Now I don't, I think Espinosa had a lot to do with, with, um, with getting that cigar into market though. So they certainly got like, I, I, well, they didn't get a first place vote. They got votes for me. But that's why I, I had it different on that one. And sure. then, yeah, but I understand that other, I understand the point is, look, without Espinosa cigars, Knuckle Sandwich wouldn't have gotten anywhere either. So I, I understand the other argument to that too. But that was very close. That was very, and then, um, but the person of the year vote got split. Yeah. Between, because there were some folks that thought Eric, some folks thought uh, Hector. And there were even some folks that thought Guy Fieri. Yeah. So 
all, before, I all, all three got votes for me. So <laughs> they all did. Yeah, they all did. Um, they all did. Uh, Eric actually got three first place votes and lost. So that was very close. That one. That yeah. was a that was a close one between Eric, Pete, and Oliver Nouveau. They were all like within two points. It was that was yeah. that was a that was a very close vote. So, but we have a we have a clear cut. You know, and you can make a case that you know Hector's blends were really on point this year. Obviously, Guy coming into the industry had a huge impact, and I know Loomis voted for Guy. Um, and then Eric, you know, a lot of us looked at him as like he was the captain of the ship there. And yes. kind of brought it all together. So, I mean, it was, but I thought in the end, you look at that split, and that's why they got company of the year. But the person of the year, you could make arguments for all three. Agree. Yeah. I certainly did with my voting. Yep. I voted for all three of them. I gave, I gave votes to all of them. Yep, you did. It was, so it was good. It was good. Uh, good, good. Uh, always appreciate that. Um, and then uh, before I wrap up, I did, well, I did catch a couple of your shows. Um, I caught the uh, coming back home. I caught the Alan Rubin interview, great interview, and then I caught the uh, the Coburns uh, from Dissident. You finally got them on, so those two good interviews. So definitely check out both of those uh, uh, yeah. takes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, the Alan Rubin uh, interview is the second one I've done with him. It, by far, his first one is probably the my favorite take I've ever done. It was the conversation I've always wanted to have. There were so many questions I always wanted to ask. And this this one took it, I even think, took it to another level. Um, I'm incredibly proud of it. Um, not because his company's name is behind me. I'm just, I think he's an incredibly fascinating person. And I think his uh, Hall of Fame career, as we talked about on Sunday, is, is you know, fraught with uh, just intrigue and a lot of story to tell and it was it was a great conversation and it, you know we flipped it you know we talked to a hall of famer one week and we talked to newcomers the following week and yep. i thought they were equally compelling so great great uh, i think they were great shows and i think they're worthy worthy conversations that everyone should check out yeah i gotta make a comment on the alan rubin show um so alan bear brought up the fact that um the uh fine and rare um Got cigar of the year for me. By the way, Finding Rare had a big push towards the end because I gave it cigar of the year. Half Wheel had it on the list, and Developing Palettes had it number four. That cigar got a big push at the end, mm-hmm. uh, and you had it on your list as luxury. Uh, not luxury. Uh, honorable man- yeah, honorable mention because it was right. limited. Edition. So there was mm-hmm. a, so January. That's like, it. Really was quiet until January when it got a big push in January. Uh, but Alan told the story about me going in the office. And talking about that cigar with him, and he was a hundred percent accurate. He told that story. He he remembered that story a hundred percent. And I went in there, and he, if you listen to it, he, I was fishing. I was fishing them on questions on this cigar. Um, but it was like I was fishing in terms of the because I, the story he tells how he compared it to the other one, which was the uh, the one he the box press one he did for his father. He I won't give away the whole story, but everything Alan said was a hundred percent true. He didn't he didn't embellish anything he it was a very and then it's kind of how i ended it the conversation was kind of interesting too so check that out if you haven't heard that but it's 100 true of that yeah good yeah. stuff all right anything else we want to hit uh scar pierce is on the show on sunday oh that's right so, so yeah we we didn't hit any i mean we really focused on legislation by the way but uh so yeah this will be more yeah spoiler alert this will be more trade show focused yep 
uh, which is more of his sphere anyway. We'll talk about some advocacy too, but it'll be more. I think there's some. I think there's some advocacy stuff we hit tonight that you share with Scott too. So yeah, you know, particularly. So I think it'll be a good show. So I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. Yep. Be fun one. All right. Uh, I want to thank our audience again. Uh, they were they were awesome tonight. I mean, we had a pretty big audience stay late tonight. So uh, for it's one a.m. on the East Coast. So um, it's time to shut the show down, guys. Because I'm exhausted. My voice is going. Um, it's a uh, dry throat. So, but I want to thank everyone. That's going to wreck. Thank you, Bear, as well. Yes. Um, thanks also. We, we got the show in. I know, Bear, you're having Scott on Saturday. So thank you as well. Um, Sunday. Gonna, Sunday. 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 Yeah. Um, but that's going to wrap up Primetime Special Edition 135. It's the Annals of History for. We did the January, February show. Uh, Wednesday, uh, yeah, yeah. So Tuesday, Tuesday, January 31st. Now, Wednesday, February 1st in the Eastern and Central time zones. We'll catch everybody next time. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time.